Welcome to another week on Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem Show, Sunday Nights. Originally a Zoom interactive platform where we discuss real life scenarios with real live people. Hi everybody, welcome to tonight's program with Coach Menachem Berenfeld. Again, thank you for all joining. Uh, early morning for Rabbi Kaplan over here in Rancho Israel. Nice 4.30 in the morning. Hope he has coffee. Um, tonight's share is share 112 with Coach Menachem Bernfeld. And tonight we have Zayfa to have a special guest with us. We'll get to that in a second. Again, I always start off every week thanking everybody for posting on their statuses, emailing people, letting people know about it, and having the program grow. We call Tzichas Chaveirin, a place where we could uh, really grow together. And uh, so, everybody who's posting it and letting people know about it. Again, if anybody wants to get the WhatsApp every Sunday morning, just WhatsApp me at 848-525-0066. That's 848-525-0066. If you want to get Menachem uh, Berenfeld's email every week with the speakers and the replay, you can go to menachembernfeld.com. You can sign up on the bottom over there for the to become a part of his email list. For the people that are watching this later on YouTube, you can click on the like button and the subscribe button. And every Monday morning around uh, 2.30 morning, Menachem uploads it. And you can watch all the stream that they come out. Again, we're going to start first start off thanking our advertising sponsors over here, the Lakewood Scoop over here in Lakewood for joining us here in Lakewood. And a special thank you to Rabbi and Yanif of Chazak with our renewed uh, connection. We're working on a lot of big programs together, Mr. Shem, and we'll be in touch as far as that. And Ellie and Ariel from Five Town Central. And a special thank you to Kyla Kaufman and Shmuel Summer from JCN, Jewish Content for always promoting us on all the digital Jewish platforms. Again, if anybody's here the first time, every Sunday night at 9.30 on this Zoom ID, of different speakers, different abundant, different topics. So please let people know about it. It's a great physic. Get tremendous feedback after every shear. Um, last week we didn't have a shear, it was Tishabov. Told I said either way, Mashiach Hukam will be Tishabov, so it won't be a shear. Shear before that was Rabbi Bradford Smart Smith, was a Moridika Shear. We got a tremendous amount of feedback. So please let people know about it. Next Sunday, August 21st, we're going to have the Zoychitab Rabbi Sherl Brock from Cleveland. And the topic is going to be what his uh what his big big, big topic is, the Munabitakan. We're calling it fundamental steps to acquiring betachin. He's going to talk about the olive base of how to like work on really acquiring it and dealing with the toughest challenges in life and finding Hashem's message in those in those times. It should be a powerful and meaningful program. If you know anybody that can that can benefit from it, you included, obviously, please join and be part of it. And again, tonight was Zoycha to have the source of having Rabbi David uh, Kaplan from Arasameach and from uh, Beis tonight. On the Indian of marriage, which is, uh, as we always say, every week we could do, we could do every week marriage, more and more. Every time we do it, there's always a Nacha Chizik and another Kanech. So thank you, Rabbi Kapp, for coming. Tonight's shear is shear 112. And with, uh, we always do a, a Gematria for the shear. So this Gematria for 112 comes out to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Hey, Kovbeis, hey, is 112. So he said, for husband and wife, they have Shalom Bayes, Hashem, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Part of their marriage, so that's what Share One Twelve. That's what we're going to focus on tonight. We're going to start off first with uh, Coach Menachem Berfeld. He's going to open it up. Menachem, take it away. Thank you very much. Yes, I would like to welcome everyone to another Sunday night. And Bakshev, a lot of We're up to um, Share One Twelve, and we have this close to have with us Rabbi Kaplan, like we heard, and. Um, Talking about marriage, we've we've had many programs on marriage, and uh, the spectrum is huge. Most of the programs we had were more therapeutic, 
for those who are struggling. Tonight we'll go the other way, try to see what healthy marriage is, how to enhance, um, what we can do. And I know from the past that for those who are struggling and those who are trying to figure it out, sometimes it's hard. It's hard to participate and to hear um, ideas that sometimes don't really sound realistic. And uh, it might be hard, it might be in your situation, might need some professional help, but I think it's uh, it's good to sit with a open mind. Many people have shared that um, through the program Sunday night, they started going for help to therapy and many are Baruch Hashem, much happier. Some feel stuck and are trying to figure it out. And I think they will be able to gain a Mitzvah Shem from tonight. But I just want to uh, share one idea before we start. Is that we, we mentioned many times, you try to change, you try things should be different. We're not happy. Basically what happens is we're focused on negative and seeing the things we don't want, trying to change the other, maybe trying to change ourselves. But even if you're trying to change yourself, Many times we focus on the negative. And what happens when you focus on the negative is you think about the negative. And if you think about the negative, you feel it. You feel it. And it feels like that's where you are. And it's hard and sometimes can be a struggle to stop and start looking at some positives. Because I believe everybody, no matter where you are, there's always something that you can thank Hashem for. There's always some positives, even though, yes, you would love if it would be better. You would love if things would be different. But the question is really, how many years and how long are you trying to change it already and you're frustrated? You know, you're trying for 10 years, so stop. Let's see what happens if you stop and start focusing on positive and seeing what there is, what you do have, and start living a little bit in that place and um, many people have shared that things change. Interesting, because I'm trying to tell you, you shouldn't try to push for change because you've done that the past 10 years. Just stop and start focusing on what you do have, on the positives, on the things that are working out. And then you see that things change. So this is a very interesting idea. And uh, we have this close have with us Rabbi David Kaplan, who is a, a Rebbe in, in Or Sameach, and Mashgiach Rochni in Beis Yisrael, who have given us some of his time, which I believe it's one of his specialties. So we can ask him all of our questions. And if somebody feels that it's not reality, speak up. Tell us, you know, tell us why and ask him again. And let's try to get it out of him. Before we continue, I, I do want to give a shout out for the Ebishta. I think it says, Oida Hashem, Oid Bifi, Rabim, Alenu. You should thank Hashem, Besaif Rabim. I believe tonight's program is considered a Rabim. So, this is the place where I want to thank Hashem. I was there this past week to have my first Enikel. I don't know if you can tell, but I became Mazeda and uh, Baruch Hashem with a lot of Siata Deshmaya, and we're here, Baruch Hashem healthy. And uh, I would like to thank Hashem for that, to feel grateful, and to thank Him, Rabim, 
and Hashem should help us all, everybody with what they need. We should be able to see the the siyata deshmaya, and Hashem should continue giving us all the brachas. So thank you very much, and looking forward to tonight's program. Rabbi Menachem, beautiful opening, really nice. Mazel tov, yes, Menachem, we could all see now you're getting older. Okay, let's get into tonight's share. Um, tonight's share, we have again Rabbi Menachem, he wrote many books, two of his books he wrote. We got a lot of emails, where are the books? We can't find the books, they're not for sale. One book is called My Husband, My King. It's obviously focused on the wife, and the other book is My Wife, My Queen. And we're going to talk about those two books and talk about Shalom Bias, taking our marriage to the next level, or could say taking a marriage to a royal level. And uh, Rabbi Kaplan, the, we already got a call from the publisher that Machem, everybody's looking for the books. They're going to be in the stores within the next week. You can go to Feldheim and uh, order it probably on Amazon. So if anybody's looking for the books, Hashem, within the next week or so, you should be able to get it. Tonight's share was sponsored also by an organization called Hakapa, right? They, they basically, Menachem, can you explain what this organization does? Sure. They support the uh, um, families, Almanis and Yisoyimim. And um, it's, it's, it's a big, uh, big undertaking. So whatever they do is, is, is amazing. They're doing, a, they're doing a raffle. I think they're giving away a beautiful apartment there. It's a stroll. It's obviously a huge raffle. Um, we're going to put the, the, the link in the share. And also we're going to email it after the share. So anybody could be Mushtatev, Valdek, help. And I'm going to read Rabbi Dovah Kaplan's bio. And then Rabbi Kaplan, the floor is just opening, okay? Anything that I read in the bio is not correct, please please, please correct me. Rabbi Dovah Kaplan Shlita, originally from Chicago, receives his rabbinical orientation in Yerushalayim. He's lectured widely in Eretz Yisrael in America. Is currently a senior lecturer at Arsameh Jerusalem in the Mashkiah Fruchni, where she was based in Israel. His modern streetwise approach to clarifying Jewish issues and inspiration to people around the world. Rabbi Kaplan is known as one of today's best storytellers and is the author of renowned impact book series. And obviously, King, my husband, my king, and my wife, my queen. It's Rabbi Kaplan, first of all, waking up so early in the Mukhazak Oilam. And it's close to have Rabbi Kaplan from Israel here. Rabbi Kaplan, the floor is yours. Hi, good morning, everybody. So first of all, I, you should know, I, I don't normally get up at this hour, and there were very few things that would get me up at this hour. So I told somebody, I got an email from, from somebody, Coach Benachem and Usher Partizan, they said, ooh, ooh, that's a Hashem thing. I said, wow, I, I had no idea. I didn't know what it was. I got to get this email. So for that, I was willing to get up at 4.34, well, actually 3.30 in the morning, make sure I had a cup of coffee. And yes, it is a, uh, it's a big cup of coffee, if you notice. So I'm very happy to be here. First of all, just regarding the books, by the way, My Wife, My Queen uh, uh, was written first. The, the pink one, uh, the, 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 uh, my, the blue one, My Wife, My Queen was written first. And uh, um, then I realized somebody said, well, you got to write one for the ladies also. So I did My Husband, My King. But actually, My Husband, My King is really about, uh, the, the, the wife's book is really about getting your husband to buy the men's book. So we're... Uh, we're 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 going to go to speak a little bit about Shalom Bias. Before I start with Shalom Bias, like 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 you mentioned, uh, Rav Usher, the uh, yeah, uh, uh, there are there are many different approaches. I'm only uh, offering my approach. I cannot take responsibility for anything uh, anybody else has said. I I, I could be uh, take responsibility for whatever I say, and I uh, you know I'm willing to. If anybody has any questions? But I want to start off first. Not everything that I say applies to all marriages. Didn't Lincoln say something about you get all the people all the time? I forgot what he said. But not everything applies to every marriage. Case in point, uh, a, a young lady came home. Uh, I was married a couple of months, and she was frustrated about something. Uh, she uh, 
I don't remember what happened. She missed the bus or the train or something. She came home and she was fetching about, you know, I missed the bus. I didn't get there on time. And her husband said something, oh, wow, mm, boy, that must be really painful. And he did exactly what he was told to do. He empathized like a good husband and he didn't make any suggestions. And his wife said, I don't want empathy. I want a suggestion. How am I supposed to catch the bus that night? Where's the bus schedule? He didn't know it hit him because, you know, in all custom classes, they tell you, what do you call it? Uh, you know, you're supposed to empathize. You're supposed to empathize. So, so that's except, there, there are exceptions to every rule. Number one. Number two was young lady comes home. Young lady comes home late. She was away with a chast or something. She came home very late. And she hadn't called. I guess this was pre-cell phone days. And when she walked into her house, her husband started saying, why didn't you call? I was worried about you. I was nervous about you. And he started raising his voice, started yelling at her. And she all of a sudden, she jumps up when he's yelling at her. She jumps up and she starts dancing around the room and she's crying tears of joy. And the husband's thinking, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm a sugar now over here. He's yelling at his wife and she's, she's dancing around. He says, and he didn't know what, he, you know, he didn't know what hit him. So he said, what, what's with you? So she said, listen, when I grew up, my parents never asked me when I'm coming home. They never asked me what time I, where I was. They, were, they didn't care that much. Basically, just as long as I got into the house, they didn't care. I was so much hoping that I get married and have a husband who cares. I'm just so excited to know that you care. So she didn't mind. So I, that's why I say not everything, you know, most wives get yelled at by their husbands. Not that and there are any husbands that do that. But, uh, you know, let's go to in case, just, you know, let's pretend there are, uh, most wives would be, uh, would be a bit upset. So the first thing is not everything applies to every marriage, just number one. And uh, uh, number two, there was a bacher that went to a, uh, his Rosh Hashiva before he got married. And the Rosh Hashiva said, he said, Rebbe, I want to get getting married. I would like a bracha. Rosh Hashiva said to him, I give you a bracha, you should have shalom bais. He said, Rebbe, do you suspect, do you suspect that I won't? So Shiva said, look, Bachram comes to me all the time for brachas before they get married. I've given them brachas, they should shtag in learning. I give them brachas, they should have parnasa. One thing I found, if you have shalom bayis, you have everything. And if you don't have shalom bayis, you don't have anything. So I give you the bracha that you should have shalom bayis. So the person has to know, person has to know that, that at the end of the day, at the end of the day, shalom bayis is a challenge. It's a very big challenge in a healthy marriage. I'm talking about in a healthy marriage. Shalom bias in the best of marriages is a 24-hour-a-day or uh, a challenge. And I was going to say ordeal. That almost slipped out. It's not an ordeal. It's a challenge. And I know that uh, Ravarin Feldman Schlick, the Rosh Hashanah, saw was a Rebbe in Samach years ago. He told us that a father once came complaining to him about his son. It was difficult struggling with his son. And he said to him that this is the most difficult relationship. And Rafaelman said to him, it's true, it's difficult, but it's not the most difficult relationship. The most difficult relationship is still and always marriage. And the reason for that is that when you have a son or a daughter, whatever, you have a child, for a certain amount of hours during the day, the child is going to be out of sight and out of mind. That means they'll either be in school, they'll be with his friends, be in prison, wherever he is, he's going to be out of sight, out of mind for a certain amount of hours a day. Your spouse can never be out of your mind. You may think she's out of her mind and she thinks you're out of your mind, but can't be out of your mind. She can't be out of your mind. You can't be out of her mind because every decision you make in the course of the day can affect her. So for example, if the husband's coming home and his wife makes a beautiful sumptuous supper, 
And the husband sits down, he has, you know, he has a piece of chicken and the wife says, you know, you're only one piece. You know, this is a guy who on a good day, he could go two, three or four. He has one piece, no, no, the chicken wasn't good, no, it was delicious. What happened? Well, on the way home, I had a Danish. You didn't tell me. That's a wife's reaction, you didn't tell me. You got to report Danishes. Now, what happened over here was that the husband goes and he ruins his appetite. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. If he would have called his wife and said, by the way, I'm going to have a Danish. I'll have to pick one up for you. That'd be fine. But he wasn't thinking about her. She goes and spends a couple of hours making a supper just the way he likes it. And then he does something. You get 24 hours a day. You got to be thinking about your spouse. Obviously, when you're working, you're learning, whatever it is. At that moment, you can't think about them. You got to be thinking about what you're doing. But they can never be out of your out of your focus. And therefore, it is the most challenging relationship because it's essentially you in another person's body. And therefore, a person has to, has to have that other person in mind. They have to have their spouse in mind 24-7. So the biggest bracha is to have shawl bias. Now, my approach, <clears throat> and I think the approach of Gedoli Yisrael, uh, uh, is that the brunt of the responsibility for Shalom Bayes lies with the husband. Uh, the Barbanel and Baratius, the Barbanel and Baratius, and I apologize in advance to all, uh, to all the men who are, who, are, who are listening, but I apologize even more to the men who are not listening. Um, the uh, Barbanel and Baratius says that why he asked the following question, why did our coach create better women so different? Why couldn't we be the same intellectually, emotionally, logically, and then everything would be wonderful. You could eat supper together, plop down on the couch, and watch a football game together. But no, it's got to be a situation where the husband would like to watch a football game and the wife wants to go to the Italian opera. Why is that? Why, why did Akkadosh Baruch Hu do that? Create us so differently. It says the Barbadel and Baratius that Akkadosh Baruch Hu wants men to learn that they can't be so focused on themselves and so egocentric, they have to realize that they have to relate to and give to somebody who's so different than themselves. And that's the, the fundamental. Now, it doesn't mean women are perfect. Women have their women have areas that need to be worked on as well. But the essential, the brunt of shalom bias is that if there's responsibility rests on men. I always tell the Talmudim and husbands, men that I speak to about shalom bias, ask yourself the following question. How would you like to be married to you? Get a look in the mirror and ask yourself, how would I like to be married to me? And I don't mean your physical appearance. I mean, you with your temper and your selfishness and your, and I say you, me, temper, selfishness, stinginess, demands. How, how would I like to be married to me? And a man should ask himself that question all the time. How would I like to be married to me? So Rav Shteman Zetzel, when somebody came to him about Shalom Bayes and asked for advice on Shalom Bayes, Rav Shteman said, Treat her well, and she'll treat you well. That's what he said. Treat her well, and she treats you. Now, the reason for that, the basic reason for that is, I think <clears throat> men are essentially takers. And if a wife is giving, a husband often can fall into a pattern. Well, if a little bit is good, more is better. A woman, by nature, is a giver. If a man, in most cases, again, there are exceptions, obviously exceptions, if a man is giving to his wife and treating his wife well, in most cases, she will reciprocate. <clears throat> Excuse me. If a wife is treating her husband well, it's not necessarily going to follow. He's going to reciprocate. In many cases, he may end up taking advantage. And therefore, the focus is on a man 
the man has to be able to give to his wife and constantly focus on his wife. And Mimela, that will bring almost an automatic response. It doesn't mean that there aren't going to be challenges, there are children to deal with, that there are other issues of people's moods, and so on and so forth, finances, and so on and so forth. But as a, as a basic uh, stepping stone, that's where I'm coming from. Um, the, uh, uh, one of the keys to marriage is a man has to keep in mind, number one, chazal. And I'm starting, my, my given over here uh, is that there's a basic starting point, and that is, you know, we, we are constantly accused by others, you know, of being a, a chauvinistic religion, and we put women down, and women are second class citizens. One of the examples they all use the mechitza. Yeah, you have a mechitza, the women are, women are put behind the mechitza. So try to explain to people this idea I heard from a Egyptian pink is itself. It a lot depends on your on your given on your starting point. If your starting point is that men and women are allowed to be together in a shul, so then you're right. A mechitza pushes women away. But if your given is that men and women from a halachic point of view cannot be in a shul together, so if there's no mechitza, the women are going to be outside the shul. You put in a mechitza. It allows the women to come into the show. So the mechitza brings them closer, doesn't push them farther away. The mechitza actually brings them closer. So depending on what your point of departure is, is going to depend on what your entire approach is. If you feel that, well, the given is that men and women could be in the show together, so the mechitza pushes away. If they can't be together, so the mechitza brings them closer. The point of departure here is Torah is Chazal. Chazal say, Man has to love and wife as much as himself and respect her more than himself. Number one. And number two, it says, Isha tova matana tova baila. Oh, good, precious, good wife is a precious gift to her husband. And the Benish Chai says that it could be that in a previous incarnation, this couple was married. Can you imagine? You were married in a previous incarnation. Maybe that's why some of those conversations sound familiar. Didn't we speak about this once before? Probably, probably in a previous incarnation. Right? One second, you never gave me the credit card back from the previous incarnation. So it says, Isha Tova Matana Tova. The husband messed up and he had to come back in a gilgal into this life. And the wife got it, did it, did the job properly. But she was brought back to help him get it right the second time around. Therefore, she's a precious gift because she doesn't really have to be here. Isn't that remarkable? So I tell the ladies, just, you know, this is not something that you should mention when you're having an argument or a spat. It's not like, well, listen, you know, I don't really have to be here. I'm only here because of you. It's not something, wouldn't go there. But realize what a wife is. Realize what a precious gift a wife is. And therefore, the, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the approach to marriage, my approach to marriage is first, let's find out how the husband is behaving. And then we could go from there. And just as a final word for an introduction, the final word, I think that it's extremely important and the most important piece of advice I give anybody about marriage. Any man, especially men, but women as well, but any man <clears throat> should for about five or 10 minutes a day, and if it's, to, if it's once a week, that's also good. Take a book on marriage, any book on marriage, there are a lot of good books out there. Take a book on marriage and read the book for 10 minutes. Because whatever the book is about in the marriage, what it does is it keeps you focused on marriage. And the Priscilla Sharms, Priscilla Sharms has a principle that we all know certain mitos are not proper, behavior isn't proper, 
And the only reason we do certain things in our mitos and our behavior, which are inappropriate, is because we're not focused on it. We're not, it's, out of, it's, it's, it's not constantly on our mind. If a person, a man, especially reads a marriage book 10 minutes a day, 10 minutes a week, it'll somehow keep him focused on the marriage. Keep the focus, keep the focus where it is. And if the focus is on the marriage, then the marriage will be Hashem, the marriage will improve. Rebetzin, um, Meir Chodesh, Meir Chodesh was the Mashgiach of the Chevron Yeshiva. And he was Nifter, tremendous Baal Musser, was Nifter after over 60 years of marriage. They asked his wife, what was it like being married to Meir Chodesh? The Rebetzin said, it was like being in Gan Eden for 60 years. It's a good idea for every man to ask himself, I wonder what my wife would say if she was asked that question. What would she say? She may say it was like being in the Olama Emes for 60 years, but which part of the Olama Emes? And therefore, it's a good idea for every man to ask himself that question and to strive for that goal. His wife should be able to say, yes, it was like living in Gan Eden for our entire marriage. Oh, sure. Okay, that opening. Um, let's, like, let's take a poll now, and then we're going to get into questions, okay? Again, if anybody has questions, please text it in. And uh, again, live is <coughs> harness. And uh, let's take a poll, okay? Okay. There's the poll questions. Okay, two poll questions. First question is, what do you personally do to enhance your relationship with your spouse? Okay. Four, four possible answers. Everybody, please answer. Be honest. It's anonymous. First answer is at least, what, what do you try to do to enhance your relationship with your spouse? At least once a week, have a date at night. Option B, try to eat dinner together with him, with him or her. Option C, learning, reading, listening to books, share and podcasts. Try to like have knowledge and better your marriage. And option four, our marriage is great. Nothing special is needed. It's good the way it is. As they say, if it ain't broke, don't fix. Second thing, in which area of marriage do you think you lack the most? Okay. Number one, communication. Number two, connecting emotionally. Number three, too busy to spend time together. You don't have time. And number four, no interest in no interest in working on my marriage. I'm just burnt out. So what area in your marriage do you think you lack the most? Answer those two questions anonymously. And then uh Capital will share the answer with everybody. Never yet, we're going to share it, and then uh, if you want to comment on it, then we'll jump into the questions again. If anybody has any questions, please text Usher Barnes. And the live questions go first. We have a lot of questions that came in, and we'll try to cover a lot of ground tonight. Okay, let's share. Okay, here we go. What do you personally do to enhance your relationship with your spouse? 21% of the people said at least once a week to have date night. Every Kaplan, the, the winning answer, 50%, I have all the hundreds of people that are here tonight, said to try to eat dinner together with them. 23% say they're learning, reading, listening, books, sharing, podcasts, knowledge on, you know, on the Indian. And 7% say our marriage is great. Nothing is needed. 7% just came to say hello to you tonight, but they don't really need anything. They're good to go. <laughs> Number two, in which area in your marriage do you think you lack, you lack the most personally? 34% say communication, 35% say connecting emotionally, 27% say too busy, no, no time to spend together, and only Baruch Hashem, only 3%, no interest on working on my marriage, burnt out. Kappa, if you have anything to say on this, if you want to comment, 
decline. Otherwise, we can jump straight into the questions. I think that uh, I think that the survey speaks for itself. If only seven percent of the people say our marriage is great, nothing special is needed. So that tells you the state of marriage right there. That uh, that obviously should I take this off of my what do you call it, by the way? Can you see me? Is that better? Okay. Yeah. Okay, the, the, I, I think that if 7% of the people, uh, 7% of the people say that their marriage is great, that just shows you that uh, marriage needs constant work. As we're talking about people, I assume people have been married for more than 10 minutes and, uh, and, and they have to, uh, you know, it, it just it needs constant focus and constant work. Um, unfortunately, the state of marriage today in the world at large is a shambles, obviously. I once heard a story about a young lady who said to her friend, when I go out with a guy, I ask myself, is this the man? I want my children to spend every other weekend with. Now, that's the state of the of marriage in the world at large, you know. And in the Torah world, we obviously uh, you know, don't want to get to that that state. I would just like to say something about date night, which is a recent phenomenon, a more or less recent phenomenon. What they call date night. I just just one. Uh, you notice that fifty percent of the people said eating dinner together, spending time eating dinner together. I think what that really means in date night, what date night should be. Is it's, it doesn't matter. They said the problem with date night is that they, and I was just told this by a couple that they would make a date night once a week, and the wife was frustrated because they'd like go to a restaurant, and the husband was more interested in the food than he was in the communication. Because often, my men, date night means we're going to go do something, and he's more interested in the doing something than the communication, whereas the wife is more interested in do you want to get away so she could have some time with her husband. So, so in the date night makes it sound like we have to do something, which I think is the, the, the eating dinner together is a lot more accurate, which is really let's spend some time together without any noise in the background. And more importantly, no electronics, no smartphone, no cell phone, no dumb phone, no phone of any sort, no equipment of any sort anywhere in the vicinity. And that's one of the things that's ruining marriage. Okay, let's jump into the first question. I got a few few texts like this, but I, I think to start with, and then we'll jump into other questions. People are texting, we'll get to it in a second. Okay, first question. As a single person starting to date now, I, I want to know what tips can you give someone who's getting married for the first time? What to expect, what to do? Especially, okay. let's do the you know, side for men, side for women. I know you wrote two books, but uh, try to okay. break it. So it's uh, obviously... There, there's so much. It's it, there's so much about uh, what to expect in marriage that you can't. There, there's a limit. And when guys ask me what you know, how do I know when I'm ready for marriage? I always tell the guys, you're not. Uh, you, you're not ready. Uh, the only thing that's going to get you ready is getting married. Obviously, there has to be a minimal amount. There has to be a certain minimal amount of uh, you know, person being a certain maturity level and a willingness to take on responsibility. You have to realize you're going to have to take on you're taking on responsibility for a wife and a family now. That you have to have as far as how to actually prepare for marriage. You know, there's schmooze and we talked to the guys, they're their chassan classes, that, that, the other. I just got an email from a chassan who's married, a guy's married about a year and a half, I think. And he, he sent me an email, he said, what makes anybody think that a few hours of chassan classes really prepares you for marriage? That's what he said. I said, Tim, you're absolutely right. Nobody really thinks so. It's just that we have to, you know, you also give a soldier going out to combat, you give him, so you give him the equipment, but you know, until you actually face live combat, you know, you're not prepared. So that marriage is combat. But, uh, you know, the, the example that I use is you could, you know, somebody is going to go skydiving. Uh, you could use all the 
classes and simulators and everything else, but at a certain point, you have to step out of an airplane at 10,000 feet. And the only thing that prepares you for skydiving is actually skydiving. Somebody once said, if at first you don't succeed, skydiving is not for you. So the, 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 idea, the idea of there are certain things that when you get married, then you learn. It's like a certain amount of on-the-job training, what I call obedience training school for men. And there's a certain amount of on-the-job on training. Uh, what you should expect, I told about it. First of all, expect the unexpected, number one. Can't possibly, again, possibly uh, uh, prepare you for every, every eventuality, every scenario in marriage. Number one. Number two is that you're going to have to focus on somebody else and give, obviously. Uh, my brother is a Rebbe in yeshiva. A bucher once came to him and said to him, Rebbe, how do I know when I'm ready for marriage? And my brother said to him, how do you know when you're ready for marriage? When you're sick and tired of taking, 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 and all you want to do is give, 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 then you're ready for marriage. The bucher kind of looked at him with a dazed look on his, on his face. He goes, oh, I, I got to think about that. You know, they walked away. Last we heard, he's 91, and he's still he's still not ready for marriage yet. So it, it, there's a there's a certain uh, the focus has to be taken off off of oneself. And number three, there's what the Chazanish said to his sister, and his sister married the stipler. And his sister said to the Chazanish, "Give me advice for marriage." And the Chazanish said to his sister, "At the moment you want to take, that's the moment you have to give." That's kola Torah kula al regalachas idach berisha zilgemar. The rest of it is only commentary. That's the entire in a nutshell. The moment you want to take, the moment you have to give. So that is what I would tell somebody who's uh, getting ready for marriage. For a wife, uh, uh, for a young lady who's getting married, she has to understand that she has to realize what try to tap in as much as possible and try to find out before marriage what a male nature is. Uh, somebody who has brothers is probably better equipped, but it's very important to find out what a male nature is really all about, so she'll deal with it. I have found that the girls in marriage are a little bit more mature, and they go in, they have a natural, some sort of natural grasp on marriage much more than men do. Okay, here's another question that came in. I'm a good... <laughs> Hard-working husbands. I wake up at 6 a.m., go to learn, work all day. When I come home, I like to be taken care of and relax. But usually my wife is all worked up and very tense and demanding. I sometimes try to stay out even later. What advice can you give me? So, first of all, you know, I, I, I saw this question uh, you know, this idea that I like to come home and be taken care of. I'm a good, hardworking husband. And what do you think your wife is doing all day? Uh, you know, and it's not like she's sitting up with her feet in a bucket of water. You know, she's also working. You know, this guy comes home. This guy comes home and as he walks into the house, he comes up the stairs. And as he walks into the house, the house is in total disarray. And uh, total disarray. And the husband, uh, uh, what do you call it? He sees the kids are running around and the, 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 the dishes on the table and everything's upside down. The wife is not there. Doesn't see what's going on. He says, where's mommy? And when he gets it, she's in the back room. 
So he goes into the back room. There's his wife. She's lying on a couch reading a magazine. So he looks at her. He goes, uh, hi, how you doing? Good. Everything okay? Yep. Uh, what's going on? You know, and everything. And your wife puts down the magazine. She looks. She goes, well, you know, every day you come home and you say to me, so what did you do today? Well, today I didn't do it. Well, what do you think she's been doing all day? So he, he likes to come home and realize he's a hardworking. Nobody says you're not hardworking. I'm sure you are hardworking. And you come home and your wife is, what do you call it? Your wife has also been hardworking. Your wife is also, is also uh, uh, putting in time. So you come home, she may need a kind word. I think that part of the problem here, or part of, part of, part of the, uh, the, the issue here, is that, that number one, uh, on your way home, first of all, with Israel Talvers, that's all, he gave advice, every husband, before you get home, pull over for 10 minutes and eat an apple so you don't walk into the house starving like a bear, number one. And for a wife, a wife has to know that what happens when a husband comes into the house, those first few moments can determine whether your home is going to be Ghanaian or Ghana for the rest of the evening. If your husband walks in and you immediately start unloading on him and fetching before he eats anything, then things are not going to be good. The first thing is get him to the table, get the food in his mouth, get some meat and potatoes into his body. And once he started eating, then you could, if you get in the right order, you'll have, you'll have Ganeda. Get him to the table and then you could tell him how difficult your day was. Those are two things that have to happen when he comes home. He needs to eat and you need to tell him how difficult your day was. If you do it in the right order, you'll have Ganeda. If you do it in the wrong order, it's going to be Ghana. Number three, the husband on his way home is thinking about what he needs. Instead of thinking about what he needs, he should be thinking about what his wife needs. The more he's thinking about what his wife needs, he will see magically, he will see magically that his wife is not, that his wife is in a much better mood. She's not going to be so, she's not going to be so upset. Well, I forgot what he wrote in the question about that she's, that she's, he tries to stay out of the house as long, as long as possible. <laughs> yeah, after what he called the, 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 uh, you know, I heard a story about this man, guy comes to a row and he says to the row, you know what, I, I can't take marriage with my wife. She's always cranky and grouchy. There's no freshness in our marriage. I want to get divorced. So the Rav says to Muslim, it's very, very calmer, you know, uh, before you do that, we can't, uh, you know, I can't just go and give a get, you know, we have to work on the marriage a little bit. He says, I have an idea. So I have an idea for, you know, we have a school in Israel that when somebody's not well, we add a name. Let's add a name to your wife and see if that works. The guy's like enchanted, like, ooh, this sounds really interesting. He says, what's your wife's name? He says, her wife's name is Chana. He says, okay, let's call her Chana Bracha. Okay, guys, wow, Chana Bracha. He says, the only thing is, you know, when you change the name, you gotta have to get used to the name. So what I want you to do is I want you to practice. For a couple of weeks, I want you to practice. Every morning, I want you to say, good morning, Chana Bracha. And when you come home for lunch, after you eat a meal, I want you to say, thank you for the meal, Chana Bracha. And when you go to sleep at night, I want you to say, have a nice evening, Chana Bracha. Thank you for everything you've done for me today, Chana Bracha. Just for practice, you understand? Just so you practice till you get that Chana Bracha named up. The guy's enchanted, intrigued. He goes home. After two weeks, he comes back and says, it was unbelievable. She's in a good mood all the time. I tell you, the name's say the school of work. Sure, school of work. Sure, the school of work. When you behave like a mensch, it's a school of that you're going to have a good man in marriage. If you don't behave like a mensch, you're not going to have it. So husband's coming into the house. You want to be taken care of. Listen, get with the program, buddy. You know, the reality of life is we all want to be taken care of. And the reality, that's life. 
So obviously she will take care of you. But you know, the expectation may have to be reduced. So here's, here's a question that somebody sent in. My husband is so into his learning that he pushes marriage to the side. He won't say it outright when I try to communicate with him, but I'm pretty sure he wanted to get married to take care of his physical needs so he can learn. I know that is, is that is essentially the goal of the women to aid her husband's Torah, but I'm not Rebetzin Kanievsky. I have emotional needs and I want a real connection. So sometimes, you know, when, when the, the way, I, if I understood the question, the way it was worded, I said, he's so into his learning. Some men are talking into their learning to that, to that point. And generally when a man is really into the learning, generally when he's really into the learning because he's into the learning and he's been mechabit his wife properly, I guarantee you that Rebetzin Kanievsky, Reb Chaim Kanievsky would mechabit her completely. And with Mekhaim, all of his chiyuvim, the way he's mechuyiv to, the way Bachazal say. And it's well known that Rebetzin Feinstein when his rebbet said, you know, most guys, if you're learning, finally got a safer open. And the wife comes into the room and she starts talking. They finally open the safer. So the husband will put his finger down on the plate to kind of look at his wife and tolerate her in the best of scenario. Ramesha was Yadua that when his rebbetson would walk into the room to speak to Ramesha would close the safer and keep his finger in the place. He would close the safer completely because it's not polite to speak to somebody with an open safer. When I was at Koylal, so they told us that Revisor Zalman Meltzer Zatzal, a wife, a young wife, once came to Revisor Zalman and she complained that her husband doesn't talk to her. It's always learning. And when he does talk to her, he talks with hand gestures. So Revisor Zalman said to the wife, Send your husband to speak to me. So here's this young Avrech and his wife, she says, Revisor Zalman wants, wants to speak to you. Revisor Zalman, wow, husband's very flattered. He comes to the house. And the Rebbitson, the Rebbitson's at the house, knocks on the door, Rebbitson Bela in the, and says, uh, the, Rav, so the Rav asked me to come. She says, yes, he's in the room over there. So the guy knocks on the door, Rebbitson's on the room, yaw, he opens up the door. There's Rebbitson's Zalman is sitting and learning. He sees the man, the Avrech, and he looks up, and he looks right back down at his safer. Now, the Avrech wasn't told to sit down, he wasn't told to leave, he wasn't told anything, he was just standing there. Then Revisal looks and says, Bela Hinde calls his wife in. So his wife comes in, he says, did you go shopping today? Yeah, what did you buy? Oh, some milk, some eggs, some cheese. And how's the little anical feeling? He's feeling better? Yeah, I said, they schmooze for about 10 minutes. He says, ah, it's so nice talking to you. And she turns around, she leaves. And he looks at the Avrech again. And he then looks back down at his safer. Then after a few minutes, he looks up. And he goes like this is the internationally recognized signal for get out. The Abraham went home and he said, you know what, I learned two things today. I learned number one, that there's nothing wrong with stopping to, to talk to your wife a little bit. And I also learned it's very humiliating to be spoken to with hand gestures. A wife and a husband, in this example, which is we're gonna, gonna keep coming back to this, if it's a healthy marriage, we're talking about a healthy marriage, where there's communication, if you can communicate about anything else, this is also something to communicate. A wife should say to her husband very simply, listen, I respect you for learning. I love what you learn and I love the ruchdis you bring into the home and I really appreciate it. But sometimes I do need some time. I do, I do need some, some, some time and I need to, to feel that you're, that you're paying attention to me. And it should be very, very clear. 
if a man is not responding. So it's like any other situation where a husband simply is not willing to budge. And depending on how extreme it gets, that's when professional help is needed. But in a healthy marriage where there's communication, so you communicate like anything else. You know, this is one of my needs, no different than anything else. Better for the captain, though, that was a great muscle. Um, that was okay. actually a true story. It was great. Okay, a lot of people are texting questions. Again, like I always say, uh, you know, it's better to ask live. A lot of people are show bias, but we know it's for somebody else, so it's not a problem. It's already self-understood, so feel comfortable to ask. Okay, somebody sent in this question. It's a great question over here. As a husband, I know my responsibilities, my responsibility is pretty clear. I don't mean to ask this question to be downgrading, but can you please explain to me what is the wife's responsibility in a marriage? Let me clarify. My wife has full-time help for the house and the kids, and it feels like she's getting the better end of the deal of the whole marriage. You know, anybody... It's a little bit, it's a little bit of add-on to the other questions, because, you know, we yeah. said the husband comes home, wife has yeah. a whole Let's say the wife who has a more luxurious type of lifestyle and the husband is working hard. <laughs> so first of all, you know, anybody is looking at marriage as a deal and a keeping score, uh, you, you know, they're going to they're gonna need some, uh, you know, you have to get readjusted over here. Marriage is not a contest. And quite frankly, if, uh, if, my, if a wife is, is, has less on her plate and less strength, I think a husband should be happy because then she has more time to put into him and uh, she doesn't have anything to distract her and she can keep herself well put together and she could uh, be, she'll probably be in a better mood. Uh, you know, I'd rather walk into a house with a smiling wife than a, with a smiling wife who's not working as hard than into a, a, a an exhausted wife because she is. So, uh, you know, number one, uh, if she if she's able to afford that and she's able to what do you call that you know I, I think that that's wonderful. Number two, I, I didn't really understand the question and therefore what would he like to hear? That's why I did. I, what would I, okay? Let's say that's true. Let's say it's true. Let's say you you work harder than your wife. Therefore, what everybody give him an ovation. He works harder than what, what would you like over here? Like Yasher Kraft, she should give you Yasher Kraft. She should give you. She should be show express her appreciation. But what, I mean, you know, that's, that's sometimes that's the Matthias in life, by the way. I want to tell you something. You know, you could have a situation where a husband, let's say, works eight or 10 hours a day, whatever the work day is, 10 hours, 12 hours a day, whatever it is. And in the early days of marriage, the wife is going to be working 24 hours a day because she's on call with the kids and everything else. You know, she, she never gets the rest. Women often complain when a husband is sick, he gets into bed. When a wife is sick, she never gets to get into bed. She's still got to keep going. But then later in life, as the kids get older and move out of the house, She's going to have more time on her hands. She's going to be working less than him. I mean, so what? So what? I mean, what, what and therefore what? That, that was my reaction. I, I, I really don't know what, what you would like to anybody to say to you. Yes, we'll put your wife to work. Let's send her to help in somebody else's house. Exactly what would you like? Be happy that you have a wife who is free of those, those duties and obligations. She could afford household well, household help. I think something you have to be grateful for. You know, I, I heard the story once. This husband goes to the doctor, and the doctor, uh, the doctor says to the husband, "I want you to go out to the waiting room. I want to send your wife in." So the wife comes in, and the and the husband says, "The wife, the doctor says, wife, listen, your husband is very, very ill. He's very, very sick. You need to make him three nutritious meals a day. Don't ask him for money. Don't ask him to do anything around the house. Just make sure he's completely comfortable and well taken care of." 
if you don't follow my instructions, uh, your husband may die. She goes out to the waiting room. The husband's very anxious. He goes, what did the doctor say? What did he say? She looks, she goes, he said, you're going to die. <laughs> you know, so, so men go into marriage with this with unrealistic expectations of just that they're just going to be, you know, everything going to be just wonderful and all their fantasies and everything will be taken care uh, you know, there's a reality over it. Let's grow up. At a certain point, we have to grow up. At a certain point, we have to grow up. Oh, sure. Yeah, next question. Before I got married, I told my parents and the Shadchanim that I wanted a boy who is a serious learner and takes Yiddishkeit to a real level. Now, a few years into the marriage, he's officially in Kailu, but I don't see him being serious about his ruchnius. He sleeps late, misses learning, um, misses learning, stays home. What can a wife do to inspire more ruchnius to her husband without putting him down? Okay, this is an extremely important question. All the questions are important. This one is, this is a constant, uh, this is a constant uh, issue. I, I just wrote a column, it should be coming out soon for the Hamadiyya. I wrote in the Amodiyah, I write in the Amodiyah, uh, in the Chinuch uh, section of the Amodiyah, once every three or four weeks. Um, there's a, there's a, uh, a misconception. Um, it, many girls have heard in seminary, you're not, you should not be your wife's, your husband's mashkiach. And I think that that's a common, have you ever heard that? Uh, you've heard that, you're not supposed to be your husband's mashkiach. Now, I disagree with that statement about 90%. Because I'm a mashgiach. A mashgiach has several roles. One of the roles of mashgiach is meant to advise, encourage, compliment, build up, and sometimes, once in a while, to discipline. So a wife who sees a mashgiach, when they say, you shouldn't be your husband's mashgiach, uh, you know, if you're envisioning a mashgiach as a man in a blue uniform with a whistle who's handing out tickets, so right, you shouldn't be your husband's mashgiach. But a mashgiach is a much broader job. A man needs supervision. Everybody needs supervision. Can it be a hefgerville? Everybody needs accountability. A man is accountable to his wife. What if a man decides he's not going to get up and he's not going to go to work one day? What, his wife is just going to sit there and not going to say anything? Wait, you're not allowed to say anything to your husband? You're being your husband's mashgiach. Why aren't you going to work today? She's not allowed to ask him any questions? Like, I mean, that's ridiculous. The wife has a job of being a mashgiach. Now, part of her job is encourage your husband, compliment your husband, build your husband up, tell your husband you're proud of him. Men love that. And sometimes, yes, you have to point out to your husband, listen, I think you can be doing better than that. How you do it and when you do it, when a wife should do it is a different issue. But that a man has no no accountability. He's, he's free to do whatever he wants to do. It's ridiculous. What kind of where, where did I make an idea like that? I have no idea. Of course, you're your husband's machia. I was once very. I've been disappointed because I've heard of uh, uh, you know sometimes ladies give talks and and they'll say, "Well, you're not your husband's machia. Just accept him." And then they bring the example of what does that what Devora was married to Bara? What do you call it? Who only make candles for the base of Mikdash? I, I got news for you. I got news for you. You, you, you married your husband. What you shouldn't do is tell your husband in, in an unpleasant way. 
But I guarantee you, if your husband comes over from a daf year and you say, if a wife would say to your husband, wow, you know, I'm really, I really appreciate the ruchnias you bring into the home. I know it's hard to go to daf year and I'm really proud of you. I guarantee you that it has an effect, not because you're trying to manipulate him to get him to do more. By, by definition, he'll do more. But everybody, most people respond, most people respond to positive reinforcement. And if you're positive, number one, just, just verbally positive. Number two, imagine a husband comes in from, from his Seder, from Koylal, whatever it is, or he goes to even Minion in the morning, wife said, makes him a special breakfast. He walks into like the French toast with whatever it faced. But what's this? He says, listen, you know, I know it's not easy to go to Minion every morning. You know, I'm really impressed that you go to Minion every morning. You, you don't think that's going to work? You think it, it can only have a positive effect. Is there a magic solution? It doesn't work at all, all, the, all the time. But it could only have a positive effect. And a wife would be wise if she would make a vocabulary list. I actually advise this. Take a list, take a piece of paper, and actually write down 30, 20, or 30 words, like amazing, awesome, uh, uh, terrific, dedicated, and just make up a whole list so the words are accessible to you. And then splash them on your husband on a regular basis. You know, women sometimes say, what, is he a baby? He needs to, he needs to be constant, constant encouragement? Do you need to reward him? The answer is, yeah. That's first of all, yes. Second of all, you do too. Women also respond to compliments. Who doesn't? Who doesn't respond to being to being admired? Who doesn't respond to something positive? And therefore, in Ruchnias, where a wife wants her husband in Ruchnias to uh, uh, improve, the way to improve is only through a positive, a certain amount of positive. There is accountability. And again, I'm going to come back to this issue again and again. In a healthy marriage, there's communication. A wife has a right to say to her husband, I noticed that you haven't gone to Koylo, you've been going late the last couple of days, is something wrong, but what's the issue? We need to discuss it. She has that right. And if she can't, then again, then you need professional intervention about who's not willing to, they're not willing to, is completely uncooperative. I'm not talking about where in that sort of marriage. I'm talking about a marriage where there is communication. So ask the husband, does something bother you? Do you feel okay physically? Maybe somebody put you down in the coil. Maybe you're not being as successful as you expected to be. Maybe davening is not mean, doesn't meaningful to you. Maybe it's because you're spending too much time on it. Maybe you're seeing things you shouldn't see on the internet. And that's where we're pulling down your roughness and so on and so forth. Maridik, let's jump on this question over here. Um, I have a general question. How do normal healthy couples arrive at a decision as far as anything, money, I think that we see, we disagree a lot. For example, I want to go on vacation now, but my spouse doesn't feel that we should waste the money on that. How do normal, healthy couples, should they discuss a topic that they, one feels like Aleph, one feels like Tuff? How do they come to the resolution respectfully together? <laughs> we can't agree. I heard the husband says to his friend, you know, my wife and I can't agree on our vacation plans. I want to go to the Bahamas and she wants to come with. <laughs> <laughs> so we're not talking about that, obviously. Okay. So here I have a rule. I have a rule. Uh, when it comes to decisions in a healthy marriage, uh, I have a principle. And my principle is, I want you to imagine the following. I'm going to use an example. I go to the doctor 10 times with a sore throat. Now, I'm convinced that I know that it's a bacterial infection. I need antibiotics. And the doctor says to me, no, it's viral. He's not willing to give me the antibiotics. And I'm begging him for the antibiotics because I'm telling you, I know that it's bacteria. Nine times out of 10, since he's a doctor and I'm not, 
nine times out of 10, I think I'm right. He's going to be right. Nine times out of 10, he's the professional. He's going to be right. If not nine times out of 10, eight times out of 10. But certainly on a higher percentage of times, he's going to be right more than I am because he's the doctor. So far, so good, right? Now, I don't know in advance which those two times are that I'm right. Because I think I'm right 10 times. So I don't know which are those two times. So I have two choices here. I can either always do it the doctor's way or always do it my way. Because I don't know in advance, I always think I'm right. So as an approach and as a policy, I will do it 100% of the time what the doctor wants because the doctor has a higher batting average. Correct? So far you follow, okay? like the teenager everybody who has teenagers at some point or other you know family goes away let's say it's a boring outing there's always a teenager says well if you want to listen to me we would have never been in this situation what the teenager is overlooking is that this is not the first time that he has shared his wisdom with us and if we would have listened to him we'd probably all be in prison by now so we don't listen to him because his track record is just not that good everybody gets lucky once in a while a husband and a wife when they have to make decisions. So my experience is that a wife, because she's got a certain sense and an intuition, has a better track record. And a wise husband, when push comes to shove, A, because we should give in and we're told to give in and you have to be mavater, you have to give in to your wife to do what she wants. But there are different types of issues. Let's say she wants to go to her parents for Shabbos, you want to go to your parents for Shabbos. So when it's an issue of personal preference, just personal preference, there's no right or wrong over here. It's just personal preference. So then a man should give it. At the end of the day, the man should give it. Now I've asked this to my family members, by the way, and even the women say, well, it depends which one is really more passionate about something. I have found in general, the man should give it. The man should be the one to give in, number one. That's when it's not a right or a wrong, it's just a preference issue. When it's a right or a wrong issue, or something even as simple as choosing a yeshiva, the husband has to do the research. The husband has to speak to the Rosh Yeshivas. But the husband has to bring the information home to his wife and would be wise to hear what his wife has to say and let her make the final decision. Sometimes the wife's decision is that the husband should make the decision. That's also a decision. But if a wife feels she knows something, because HaKadosh Baruch Hu has given her a Bina Yaseira, that Bina Yaseira, number one, is, is, is often, uh, it, it's tremendous, tremendously accurate. And number two, men tend to have biases that women could rise above. A wife who is more concerned genuinely for her family, so the focus is really on what's truly best, whereas a man is often thinking about personal prestige and how it's going to look by his friends and what he could say to the guys in shul and so on and so forth. So as a general rule in a healthy marriage, a healthy marriage as a general rule, the husband should be giving in to his wife for the most part. If a wife sees that her husband really is bothered by something by her, it's okay. You know, she prefer it a certain way, but it's not the nafsha. But the husband is really, then, 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 then the wife should, should let the husband have it. So here's another similar question, but it takes it to the next level. I just got married and I'm having conflicts with my wife and my mother uh, on a few issues. For example, coming for Shabbos every other week, my wife prefers to stay home. 
she doesn't feel so comfortable around my mother. How, as a newly married husband, do I deal with this conflict? Okay, first off, there is no conflict here. Be aware, there's no conflict. Your first loyalty is to your wife. There is no conflict there. It's not between your wife and your mother. There's no conflict. Let's get the word conflict out of there. The question is, how do I deal with my mother? That's the question. Because you have to explain to your mother, for some reason, that why you're not coming for Shabbos or whatever the situation is, number one. So let's get that out of the way. There's no conflict here. You're not in the middle. You're on the side, and you're on your wife's side. You're, show her your loyalty. How to deal with the parents is a different question. One thing I do recommend to married couples, especially newly married couples, so that you get off of the right foot, it's very common, you know, they call once a week or call an Arab Shabbos, whatever it is, to report what you're doing, so on and so forth. It's very, very important that the daughter-in-law call the mother-in-law what your plans are for Shabbos. Then after she's made the call, then the son gets on the phone and says, hi, mom, how are you doing? So on and so forth. The daughter-in-law should initiate the call because that creates the bond that she's the member of the family. If the son calls his mother and he's the family, he's the family spokesman, then it puts the daughter-in-law in a situation where she's kind of the outsider. That's not a healthy situation. The daughter-in-law should be, I was once at a Shabbaton uh, and I saw, I was sitting with the family and they had their children and their, their, and the mother gave, the father gave brachas and then the mother gave brachas to her daughters, but not to her daughter-in-law. I didn't say anything, but I was sitting there, I couldn't say anything. Nobody, so I felt that was not proper. And our minag is to give brother, I give brachas to my daughters and to my daughters-in-law as well. Obviously I don't put my hands on their head from a distance. I give brachas to my daughter, but they have to be treated as daughters and son-in-law should be treated as sons. So it's very important that the daughter-in-law should be the one that initiates the contact so that the mother feels that she's getting a call from her daughter. Because anyway, the son, if the, you know, the wife is not that thrilled when she sees her, her son, uh, you know, with that, with that constant mama-mama business. And obviously he has to keep it up, but his first loyalty is to his wife. So there should be no, and if it push comes to shove, he's on his wife's side. That's the, that's the fact. Obviously, it should be, we strive in any way possible not to get to the point where there should be any sort of ill will or conflict. And what, what would you tell the, the mother-in-law? What I tell the mother-in-law is that uh, you have to realize parents are often like disappointed. Why didn't they call and why aren't they this? Now, obviously a mother-in-law a mother knows her, a mother-in-law, parents have to look and see what's happening when they can sense that perhaps something is really not right. But a mother-in-law has to give a daughter-in-law a tremendous amount of space and diner lacoste and realize that she's a person and she wants to establish herself. And sometimes the mother, ask, a, ask any mother-in-law, do you enjoy leaving your house for Shabbos? Most women do not want to leave their house for Shabbos. You want to be in your home, in your kitchen and do the cooking and so on and so forth. Your daughter-in-law is a person also, number one. Number two, sometimes I get these questions from parents like, why, how come they don't want to come to our house for Pesach? Shouldn't they have to come to our house for the Pesach Seder? Why don't they call us? Why don't they this? Why don't they that? I understand something. You've been alive longer than that. You've had longer time to work on your mitos. Right? So who should we expect more from, the older couple or the younger couple? Well, they should want 
Well, one second. Well, they should. What about you? You're 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 done. You're you don't have to work on yourself anymore. And so the mother-in-law has to know the usual. Don't don't say only positive. Only positive. You see something good, say it. You see something negative. No, don't get your son involved. Don't get your son involved. Don't ask about his wife. Anything doesn't don't you think your wife should this? Mitzvah, it's like in the mitzvah to say something that will be listened to. It's a mitzvah to not say something that won't be listened to. And here, you, even if it will be listened to, it's a mitzvah not to say it. So just don't say it. Only positive, 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 positive. You see, a daughter-in-law does something right, compliment her. Compliment her on how nice the kids look, especially the grandchildren. Don't make comparisons. The usual. All right, Kevin, let's go to the live questions. There are a few. Okay, you're on first. Yep. Hi, thank you for taking my question. Um, I'm asking as a bachur that's still in the Shaduchim Parsha, what could the bachur, the people that are still in the Shaduchim Parsha kind of, we're not married yet, but is there anything we could do to prepare ourselves or get ourselves ready? Or is this something like you said, it's like the parachute jumping off the plane until you get into a marriage, you can, there's nothing you could really do. Or is it something we could, uh, while we're still looking, we could prepare ourselves? I mean, you did mention something about uh, if you would marry yourself, so should we try focusing on loving ourselves, see if we're happy with ourselves? <laughs> I mean, like... no, you don't have to focus on loving yourself. That you're good at, I'm sure. That we're really good at. That, that's but... our... <laughs> Uh, we're, that we're very good at. No, no. Uh, yeah, I, wait, listen, the parents. I mean, I mean, I mean, a psychological way, the, the, no, the therapeutic way. Yeah, I hear. Um, I hear. It's but, a good question. It's a good question. I'll tell you, like, do, or or also like, is or is this something like, is this something we just, if we have good midas, let's just say, is there, is that enough, or is there still a void that we could still do something like hakana, whatever? An excellent question. What the parachute example is only an example. Don't take it literally. Obviously. Obviously, you have to be prepared. You have to work on yourself as much as possible on your mitos. You have to work on your mitos as much as you can. All I meant with the parachute example was that no matter how much you work on your mitos, the test of your mitos will be when you're married. The test of your mitos comes when you're married. Because I'll say, a shori below isha, shori below sholo. If you're without a wife, you're without sholo. I was puzzled by that because I was in yeshiva. I had a roommate for about a year and a half. We never had anything even remotely close to any sort of disagreement. I was married for 20 minutes and I was already got my wife upset. You know, I, I was, uh, I was impatient. The photographer was taking pictures and I started making faces. I was doing like this and pointing at it. And, and all of a sudden I hear a voice. There's a lady standing next to me dressed in white. And all of a sudden she's smiling at the photographer and she goes, can you please cut that out? And I was like, Whoa, she speaks. <laughs> I had a lot more Sholem before I was before I was married. The answer is no, I didn't. Sholem is not the absence of conflict. Sholem is an active accomplishment. And when you get married, your mitos are tested. And if your mitos are tested in the early days of marriage, so when you have a baby who's colicky and is up for 22 out of 24 hours crying, and you have to be up at three in the morning for three days in a row, you're short you're short on sleep, then there's a test of your meetups. And when the bank uh, account is not as high as you would like it to be, there's a test of your meetups. So the preparation before your marriage for a bocher is to learn as much Torah as you can, pack yourself up with Torah, 
learn Musr, get yourself, like you say, polish up your Midos and get into a realistic mindset. Realize that you're getting married and all the all the, the, the nonsense that you see from the world, what the world tries to package as love, all of that nonsense is, is nonsense. You're going to do something which is going to be a piece of avoda. And the more you could appreciate that, the more you understand you are entering into avoda sashem, serious avoda, uh, then that's a preparation for marriage. Okay, we have another live question. Just unmute them. I don't hear anything. Yeah, one second. I'm trying to mute him. They're trying to mute. Wait, one more second. If not, I'm going to just ask a question, okay? Yeah. No, they're not on. Okay, Menachem, go to the question. I'll try to fix them. You want. So here's another question. As a husband, I feel like I'm doing a lot of my wife's tasks when I when I come home. It's cleaning, laundry, taking care of the kids, bathing the kids, feeding the kids, and I don't mind chipping in once in a while. But this is becoming da a daily schedule. What can I do? <laughs> You don't mind chipping in once in a while. Well, that's really good of you. Um, what, what, you don't mind, and your wife doesn't mind making supper once in a while. Uh, 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 you know, again, I, I think that first of all, uh, my wife used to say, no stage in life is forever. Life moves in stages. And this is extremely important for married couples to realize there are stages. The first stage is when you're alone. And then the next stage is when there are children. And there's when your children are younger. And then the children get a little bit older. Then the children get to the stage of teenagers, right? Which is why uh, many of the insane asylums are, 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 are bursting at the seams. Uh, and then you get to the stage of Shaduch. You know, there are different stages in life. There are stages of the Yenaklach, uh, Menachem, Reb Menachem, Mazel Tov to you, by the way. Uh, a different stage, you moved into a different stage, there are different stages of life. So there is a stage where the kids' marriage is physically taxing. When the kids are young and small, it's a physical drain. As they get older, now there's an expression in Yiddish, I don't know, I don't, I don't, I mean, I'm not fluent in Yiddish, but you know, and all these expressions always sound nastier in Yiddish. But there's an expression in Yiddish that when they're small, they step on your toes. When they get older, they step on your heart. And in Yiddish, it's particularly nasty. But, but it, 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 when, 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 you're, when, you're, when they're young, when they're little, all you're doing, all you're trying to do is keep your head above water. You're physically, it's draining. Listen, your wife needs help in the house. Maybe she's post-pregnancy, post, uh, 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 post pregnancy, uh, before, before birth, after birth. You know, there's a lot going on over here. Of course, and a man has to just come to terms with the fact at this stage, it's not going to be forever. This is the stage right now where my physical, my physical assistance is needed more. And I needed to, I needed to fold clothing and I needed to do shopping and I needed to take the kids to the park on job. I needed, I mean, physically, my physical presence is needed, but no stages forever. So I know what you would like, that number one. Number two, there should be, for the sake of the husbands, 
there should be a clear definition of what the husband's role is. What are you expecting from the what, what does the wife expect? At the end of the day, the house, the house by, by nature, the house is run by the wife. So the husband, you know, women often complain, the man doesn't know what to do. You know, I gotta, you know, I've always been happy. You know, you want me to do something, you want me to wash something or do something, but I have to know where is the soap, where are the towels, where's the scrubber, where's the, you know, wife says, you know what, by the time I finish giving you everything, I may as well do it myself. I, I don't put it away, you know. I don't. If you just give it to me, I'll, I'm glad to do it. But I don't. I don't organize things there. That's, that's your department. So just give it to me, and I'll be glad to do it. So there has to be some clear communication on what, how much is expected, what's expected, when is expected, what's extremely important. Does it really need to be done now? Can this wait? Does it once a week, twice a week, that sort of thing? But that a man has to realize sometimes, yeah, you're in a situation where you're where you're going to be taking care of the kids and you're going to be doing a lot in the house. What happens if a wife gives birth and she goes off to the Beit HaFlama? In Israel, it's called the Beit HaFlama. I don't know what you call it in America, uh, where they go to, you know, the women go for three or four days to recover after giving birth. So, yeah, that's that, that's that's the reality. Where we have one. I got the person on mute. You're on now. Hi, thank you so much. So, Rabbi Kaplan, um, you talked about how a man's nature is to possibly go into marriage to be more of a taker and want to be taken care of and how obviously that's a little bit different than the dynamic of, of what's you know what makes a healthy marriage i'm wondering as parents of boys you know what could we do to help as we raise our children um you know not just wait till when they're 22 and going into marriage so they have the concept of you know don't go into a marriage as a child but to you know, for lack of a better term, but to go in as being the man in the relationship? It's an excellent, excellent question. Uh, you know, uh, first of all, they, they say that a, uh, uh, what, what a mother couldn't do in 23 years, a little girl does in about three months. So there are many, many young men whose parents are shocked uh, to see that the, the transformation that takes place after a very short time in marriage. Like, wow, this is a guy who never even made his bed. You know, and next thing you know, he, you know, he never tucked in his shirt, he never made his bed. Next thing you know, I get married. And things are, you know, things are, are, are changing. So by nature, you know, again, boys, especially in our world, parents have to know that you can't do everything. You just can't do everything. Uh, we want them to learn. We want them to learn. We want them to learn. We want them to be, you know, go to yeshiva. We want them, you know, how much could we possibly expect of them? Sometimes I, I see parents, parents want their sons to do this and to do this. My policy with my sons, especially when they were in yeshiva, I always make sure they have money because I want them to be in yeshiva and I want them to be learning. And if they're learning, they don't have time to make money. So what I, I they should and, and then parents sometimes I see parents tied as well. The kids get married, they learn in coil, and they just think they just think that they have everything. They're entitled to everything. One second, I raised them that they should want to be in coil, and the understanding is I'm going to help support them. I go, well, what do you want them to do? You want to be in coil and not have money. So parents have to have to, and I can tell that you're obviously a very uh, uh, a very concerned and dedicated parent. Just asking a question like that. Um, they're, you know, the example they see in the home from the way a father behaves in the home, the way a father treats his wife, the way a father treats his parents, the way parents treat their parents and grandparents, that home example is going to be the key to how he goes into marriage. How did his father treat his mother? 
That's 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 what it's going to be. Uh, that's the best training. The best training is watching the parents. And if the parents, people ask all the time about Chinuch, what's a good book on Chinuch? People ask me, what's a good book on Chinuch? The best book on Chinuch is the Masil Zishar. The best book on Chinuch is the Yorchos Tzadikim. The more you work on yourself as a parent, the better the kids are going to be because they see what the parents are. So, so if a uh, if, if if you know, I, there's a, a story you've probably heard this story, uh, but I haven't told you anyway. This, this this guy goes out on his first shidduch, and he calls up the shadchan afterwards, and he says, you know, I you know I'm very interested. I like the girl. Can I I like to meet her again? The shadchan says she doesn't want to meet you yet. The bunker says, why not? She says, well, the whole night she said you kept saying things to her like, ah, come on, it doesn't matter. That's not true. What are you talking about? Oh, don't make an issue out of. Is that true? He goes, yeah. She goes, well, you know, I talk to a girl like that. She's not going to be interested. Why would you talk to her like that? The guy says, listen, I went to my Rebbe before the shit. That was the first time I ever went out. I said, Rebbe, I, you know, I've never spoken to a girl in my life. How do you speak to a girl? My Rebbe said, it's not a big deal. Just talk to her the way your father talks to your mother. So I did. Right. Okay. Well, that's, that, that's, what, that's what's going to prepare them for marriage. That's, that's what many people are asking. They, they don't want their kids to do what their husband is doing. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> so it's not a question of how to train, how to train your, you know, so this lady says to her friend, this lady says to her friend, you know, after 20 years of chew with your mouth closed, use a napkin, don't interrupt people when they talk, say please, say thank you, say excuse me. I'm finally done with my husband. Now I can start working on my kids. <laughs> so, you know. In a, in a marriage, in a healthy marriage, if a wife can get her husband in line, you know, that's what's going to be the best thing for her kids. And again, I talk about a healthy marriage. Okay, let's let's jump onto this, Rabbi Kaplan. You know, we're talking, we're talking about taking our marriages to the next level. I feel like we're more like co-partners or business partners in our life between making money, our children. What happens to the romance we first had when we first got married? Our exciting connection is just not there anymore. Taking our marriages to the next level, Rabbi Kaplan. Okay, so the uh, the first, you, you know, a lot of these questions, uh, which I ran past my family, my married kids, and my wife, my family on Shabbos, got really exciting, by the way. <laughs> so, so everybody had the same reaction at the table. This, so this was one we were all unanimous. Like, you know, yeah, that's life. Yeah, life is about working and raising kids. And, and I, I, I don't like the word romance. I don't like that word romance, even though we, we do think about it. I don't, I, the word romance, I would call it more like fulfillment uh, as, opposed to, as opposed to romance. Romance is this goyesha idea of goodness knows what. What they call romance, we call kares. So, so they, 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 you know, let's talk about fulfillment in a marriage. And I think, that the man who feels the marriage is flat, you know, and there is a responsibility, by the way, of wives. This is, the, uh, you know, I, I do pick a ton to pick on the husbands. Uh, wives do have a responsibility to try to, at a minimum, to the best of their ability, uh, to keep themselves put together in a way that the husband feels, you know, obviously, obviously a wife at 40 is not a wife at 20. And a wife is going through different changes and so on and so forth. But to the degree, you know, a husband's coming home, just that a wife puts on a shaitel, for example, I'm only using it as an example, puts on a shaitel and puts on some makeup, whatever it is. It's not that, oh, you know, all of a sudden it's like, this is going to be a new. The husband feels, wow, she cares. 
She's trying to at least put an effort into the marriage. And that's only something, there's an appreciation of men are like that. And so a wife has to, you know, put a little effort into it, put, some, put something into it. And then the husband feels at least she's trying. For the man who's looking for that romance, right? What, what he calls romance, I call making your wife happy. To the degree that you are happy, making her happy, is the degree you'll feel what you call that romance, that fulfillment of the marriage. If you're focused on what am I going to get out of this, and why are we, you know, where did all that, the, the, you know, the the the, the spark, the sparks that were going off, you know, all the fireworks that were going off when we first got married, forget about that. Come on, come on, let's let's get past that. But that there should be a fulfillment and energy in the marriage. That energy is going to be coming from you, not from her. And if the energy isn't there, it's because you're not there putting in the energy. And to the degree that you put in the energy to make her happy is the degree, ironically, that you're going to feel fulfilled in that, that, that energy in the marriage. What are some examples that, that the man could uh, put in some positive, positive energy? Positive energy would be come home, bring her something when you come home, bring her some, bring her some flowers. Yeah, even, even something like flowers, even a chocolate bar, a pen. Anything, that whole idea, you know, you got a chasta, bring your whole wife a piece of cake. Wait, she wants a piece of cake from the chasta. My wife came home from a chasta with a piece of cake, it wouldn't be that happy. If she came home with a piece of meat, that would be something else. A piece of cake, why, 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 why the piece of cake? It's not the cake, obviously. It's the fact that your wife feels that even at a chasta, you were thinking about her. So you brought her the cake home. I got come into the house, take her out one night, Without not date night, just surprise her. A wife says sometimes the wife says I get complaint. The wife says to the husband, uh, the wife says uh, uh, husband, should we go out? The husband says yeah, anywhere you want, pick anywhere you want. We'll go out. The wife's frustrated. She wants to be taken care of. She wants to be wined and dined a little bit. She wants to be treated. She wants to be treated the way she deserves to be treated. The husband focuses on her and he reads a marriage book, like I said earlier, ten minutes a day, ten minutes a week. Get focused on the marriage. The more you're focused on the marriage, the more you get up in the morning, go get night, go do the dishes for her. Unasked, you'll feel like you'll feel a lot better. I know we're into science fiction here now. You'll feel much better. Let her sit once at the Shabbos table. Let her sit the entire meal when you do the serving. Now, some women don't want you in their kitchen. They don't want you serving. They enjoy serving. I'm assuming, and I'm talking about forcing her. I'm talking about where she wouldn't appreciate it. Something like that. Take her away for a Shabbos face, whatever it is, but put the energy in it. Then you'll find where is the romance of the marriage? The romance of the marriage is because you're not putting in, you're not investing like anything else. Where's the money in the business? If you invest in the business, your business will grow. You don't invest, the business isn't going to grow. Very good. <clears throat> Here's an interesting question. I married the first girl I met. She was nice and good looking. I've been married for a few years and not sure she's my type. I look around at my friends' wives and I keep thinking to myself, if only I waited and dated more people, maybe I would have found someone more my type. Yes. Uh, I see, Rabbi Menachem, you got a big smile on your face over here. I see you like it. <laughs> I, yeah, I like it because I, I like it because I know what you're thinking also. So, <laughs> you know, first of all, uh, you know, so, so started, one of the problems is, you know, uh, you're looking at other men's wives, uh, which you shouldn't be doing. And uh, even if you're not looking in an inappropriate way, but you're focusing. So let's call it focusing. Let's say, let's say you're not over on the Isser 
of Velosa Surachar Levavta. Let's say it's not in an Usterdika way. You're thinking about, oh, what, what she's like. So, you know, number one, number one, what you don't know is he's thinking the same thing about your wife. Uh, you know, and, and, and that's why there's, it says, that's a, that's a pasuk in the Torah. Because it's human nature, especially for men, that men are focused outwards. Men are always, men, men are uh, uh, focused outwards. And I'll tell you an interesting episode. Um, a man is a zocher. And a zocher is the gematria of bracha. Male, zocher is bracha. It's 227. A woman is a nekeva. And the first time we find the letters Nekeva in the Torah, Lavan says to Yaakov Avinu, Nakva Scharcha Olai Ve'etena. Set a price. Nakva Scharcha Olai Ve'etena. So the word Nekeva is also rooted to what Bilam said, Ma'ekov Lokabo Kel. How can I curse if Hashem hasn't cursed? So the word Nekeva has a connection. Be careful over here, ladies. The word Nekeva, nobody go away. Nobody go away till I finish. The word Nekeva has a connection to the word curse. Zachar is bracha. The word bracha is actually related to brecha, which is an overflowing spring. Men are an overflowing spring. Men are all over the place. A woman is nakva scharcha olai, limitation. Let's, let's be realistic about this. Men always have these brand plans. You know, if I take a second mortgage and I invest it with my best friend's cousin, we could go for the big one over here. Men are always ready to go for the big one. And if a man works a job and he stays at the same job for three weeks, for three, he's doing really well. You know, because men are always, they're out there. They're always looking, they're always out there. Where a woman is limitation. Hey, let's calm down. We're not taking a second mortgage. We're not pointing any of the children. We're not going to go for the big one. We're just going to do things very steady and conservatively. In most cases, the wife's limitation. Rebbe Lozer ben Azari was going to become the Nasi, and his wife said to him, yeah, but one day you're going to be deposed. That limitation. Let's get it out. Let's, you're too excited. Let's, let's put a limitation here. That's why you need a male and a female. Because the husband's got a koach of being the bracha, the brecha, going out there. And the wife is the limitation. Let's keep things in the proper perspective even though Chazal say that the bracha is in the home because of the wife. The bracha is because of the wife. So men are always focused outwards. So number one, what you're seeing in other people's wives is because when you see them, they're generally on their best behavior. You don't see them behind the door. You don't see them in the house when they're alone. You see them either at a wedding or you see them in work, in situation, or you see them at a Shabbos or whatever it is. So you see them out in public. You don't say, you don't know what's going on behind closed doors, number one. Number two, this idea of maybe if I would have married somebody, if I would have waited. You know, guys ask me that all the time. How could you, and especially uh, unaffiliated Jews, unaffiliated Jews will often ask, what, you have a shit up? You go out, you marry the first girl that you met? Well, what number is exactly correct? Well, let's say you marry the seventh girl. You know, maybe the eighth girl would be better. Maybe the eleventh girl, maybe the twelfth girl. There's no end to that sort of thing. There's no end to that sort of thing. So you you meet the girl. It was logical. It was the right decision. We have a belief that our coach Baruch Hu is and you have to live with that reality instead of thinking about thinking about what could have been. Can I better Rebbe Can I say one more thing? The, sure. uh, the, the, the there's a famous word of matzah or motze, right? They always say the sheva brachas, 
you know, in my Rava and Eretz Yisrael, when a guy got married, they would say that Motza or Motze. Motze is Motze, Isha Motze. So Motze is Motze and Imarmi Mavis is Isha. So which is it? They'd say that guy Motza or Motze. Motza is Motze, Isha Motze. The best thing. Motze is Motze and Imarmi Mavis is Isha. So, you know, the first question everybody asks is, Oh, first of all, it's not your, what's in your business? The guy gets married, you say to him, so, no, come on, tell me, kid, what's she like? Is, it, is she good or is she worse than death? Marmi Bovis. Number one, what's it your business? Number two, what about Lashonara? Yeah, yeah, guys, I just want to tell you, I got married. She's worse than death. I, what, what kind of question is that? The answer is, it doesn't say they asked him. It doesn't say they asked him. It says they would say to him, Motza or Motza. They didn't ask him. They said, Motza or Motze? Buddy, you got married. I'm giving you a reminder. You want a good marriage? Motza isha Motza tov. Motza is past tense. The search is over. If you live with the understanding, the search is over. This is the one that you were meant to marry. There's no searching. There's no looking around. And Motza isha Motza tov. Motze ani. You're still looking around. Then it's Marmi Mavis. If you're looking at other people's wives, you think, oh, I could have married her, I could have married her. That's only because you didn't marry him. Right? If you would have married him. What's with the idea of different levels? Let's say he's not looking around, but he feels he's on a different level. So if she, she's on a different level, whether it's in religion or how do they continue? What, for example, what, 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 for, what kind of different level? Let's say one is more from. Right, that's a different there, there, there's a different question that depends who's more from and there are a lot of factors on that that we'd have to get into that's a different completely different area of, of the from kite well guy i think we're going to get to the from kite question but but in general the idea that maybe she could have been different or maybe she could have well, listen everybody's going to be different when you get married of course they're on a different level what you call different levels they, they're different yeah they're different Maybe somebody, I would have married somebody who's louder, somebody who's quieter, somebody who's this, somebody who's that. Of course, there's always that. There's always that. It's just part of the challenge. For example, let's get into this question. A strong question. I have a strong personality. I was born that way. And my husband thinks, and, and my husband thinks he likes me for it. I sometimes correct my husband since I, I want him to know what he's saying or what he's doing is wrong. I'm getting feedback. I'm listening to Shiurim. And I'm not sure if I'm doing the right thing. If I'm not doing the right thing, how do I tell my husband that he's doing something wrong? So, so first of all, you know, I'm kind of puzzled because I think he likes me for it. I, I don't know. You think he likes me for it? You, you, why, why is there, it sounds like there's some element of suffering here. First of all, get that clear. <laughs> Does he like you for it or he doesn't? Number one. Number two, the question is, let's, let's, let's rephrase the question. How do I correct my husband? How does a woman correct her husband? And I think we spoke about this earlier. I would like to ask this woman, how often do you compliment your husband when he does something right? The idea that, well, you know, that's his job. That's his job. Why should I, why should I thank him? Why should I compliment him? That's his job. Well, how would you feel, you know, if he didn't compliment you on supper? That's also your job, right? That's a job. We all need to be, a wife who wants to correct her husband, first of all, I would advise wives, get to the point. When men generally feel that they're going to be corrected and wives kind of talking around in circles, almost like they're scared to say it, the best is to get to the point. Let the husband know 
but it doesn't have to be. The fact that you're correcting doesn't mean that it has to be aggressive. It can be done in a tactful way. It can be done in a gentle way. But a man needs to know. And the fact remains, and I'm going back to what was asked earlier about the ruchnias, a man who throws his clothes on the floor every night, dumps his, his, his clothes on the floor. A wife is going to say something to her husband. She's going to say, do you mind not doing that? And not always is it going to be pleasant because she feels that it, it's inappropriate and it's an imposition on her and it has an effect on her. A husband's learning also has an effect on her. It certainly has an effect on the family and the kids. It's important enough to her. She's going to say something. She's, she's going to make it, you know, she, she has something to say about it. Same thing when it comes to correcting him in any area. It comes to correcting him. So sometimes a man needs to be corrected. And listen, I can't have you sitting at the table and, and, and eating with your hands, or I can't have you doing, you know, I, you know, there are certain things that need to be corrected. On the other hand, the wife has to ask herself, how often am I saying something positive to her? And by the way, the fact that you're thinking it isn't good enough. I once gave a talk here in Israel at a seminary. When I came out, <clears throat> So what are the girls, you know, usually when I finish a talk in a seminary, so the girls say, thank you for the talk, thank you for the talk, we enjoyed the talk, blah, blah, that sort of thing. One of the girls followed me out to the cab. And uh, I was waiting for the cab to pick me up. The girl followed me out. And she goes, Rabbi Kaplan, I just want to tell you, I enjoyed the talk, blah, blah, blah. And I really got a lot out of it, blah, whatever she said. And I said to this young lady, and I was impressed, I was genuine, I said, I'm really impressed because, you know, I'm a little older than her, you know, that she had the poise to come out and say it to me, and I was, I was very impressed. So she said to me, we have a policy in our home that if you're thinking something good about somebody, say it. And in many homes, it's like that. You're thinking something good and somehow we don't say it. The negative things, that comes out. That comes out right away. And what should be is that the positive, a wife is thinking something good about her husband, she should say it. If there were guests at the Shabbos table and the husband ran the Shabbos table, well, she should say, wow, you'd run a good Shabbos table. Or if one of the kids, he, he, you know, he did something with one of the kids and the wife says, wow, you're a good father. Say it, say it, don't, don't raise it. And if he learns, she should say, wow, I, I know that you're really, really devoted to your learning. Then if there's a steady flow of positive, then she could be less hesitant if there's something that needs to be correct. They say with chinuch, with kids, they say they always issue, this, I think it's the 10 to 1 rule or something like that. 10 positives, 1 negative. Halavai. Uh, Halavai should be 2 to 1. Halavai should be 1 to 1. Well, the positives, you don't have to say. It's posh. This is what you should be doing. Yeah, positive, yeah. You have to clarify. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Halavai. Small docha yamin mekarevis. Yeah. I, I know a guy who's the, who's the kid came home, was criticized by the Rebbe. The kid was very upset. And the father was an excellent father. He raised a very, very good family. And he said to the rabbi, good, I saw the small docha. Is there a yummy mikarevis also? That I've never seen. Okay, here's uh, another question that came in. Uh, I know this is the most basic question, but I don't understand. As a man, my wife asked me to do something, to bring home something. I do exactly what she wants. I feel like I'm an excellent husband in all aspects. But she's always complaining. She complains to me that I'm not listening to her, but I am. My point is that there's some kind of language, the understanding barrier between me and my wife. If I could just figure out the way to talk to her and listen to her, that would really help our marriage. Can you please advise? <laughs> I had a Talmud. 
who got married. Now, I had two stories with this guy. First of all, he was on Shaduchim. He was a really good boy. He was an Orsamech. He was a Balchuba. But he was, he was a lawyer, and he was well-groomed, and he was very nice, for just a very good, very good guy. And he'd go out on Shaduchim, and, and, and it just wasn't, it, 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 the girls never wanted to go a second time. So I spoke to him, and it turned out that he was too nervous. He was just, he was just too tense. He was not himself on the Shaduchim. So I said to him, Chaim, you know, next time you go out, I want to take a couple of shots at Jack Daniels. Relax, go out and take a couple, seriously, take a couple of shots to relax yourself so that you'll be yourself. Okay, he goes out the next day, he comes back and he's really excited. He goes, yeah, it's great. I took a couple of shots. It was myself. It was wonderful. Gets a call. They say the next day, doesn't look so happy. I said, what happened? So there's a shot and said, the girl's not interested again. So why not? Because she smelled the alcohol on my breath. <laughs> so that was the end. That was the end of the, uh, uh, without getting into alcohol and marriages nowadays, um, that was the end of it. Now, this guy got married and I asked him, which I asked the guys very often, so what have you learned in two or three months of marriage? And I always like to hear their reactions. One guy, I remember I said to him, what have you learned in two or three months of marriage? The guy says to me, he's got the, like a dazed look on his, on his face. He goes, oh, don't make any independent decisions. <laughs> All right, so this guy, I said to him, what have you learned in marriage? He says to me, I think women are missing the chromosome that makes for effective communication. I said, why? He said, I was taking a shower and I needed shampoo. So I yelled to my wife, could you throw in the shampoo? My wife is standing outside the door. She goes, we don't have any shampoo because the last time we went shopping, we didn't make a list. We need to start making lists. So I'm in the shower and she's giving me a drush of lists. I'm telling you, I don't think that's a communication. Now, what's happening over here with this husband is obviously the women think the men are uh, missing communication. So for example, you, you know, you, when, when a husband comes into the house, a husband could say to his wife something like, um, you want to go out to eat tonight? And a wife is likely to say, well, what do you mean? I, which word did you understand? Do you want to go with me to eat? What was it clear about that? And the answer is because the wife wanted to go out to eat. So you'll have often a situation where the husband will come home and the wife will say to the husband, does the living room look a little dim? My husband knows the living room does not look dim. We just put in new lights two weeks ago. She's telling me it looks dim. That means she feels she's trapped in the house. She wants to get out. She wants to eat. So the answer to, does the living room, do you think the living room looks dim? The answer to that is milchiks or fleishiks. Because she obviously wants. So when a husband says to a wife, do you want to go out to eat? She says, what do you mean? Because she would never ask it that way, right? Do you, you don't like my cooking? Um, is there something about my mother? It, it, it gets very, so the, the communication is obviously, you know, and that's what baffles men. Why sometimes ladies talk like this if you can talk direct. So here, I think that there is definitely a communication. And one of the things that I tell wives, I tell girls when they get married, you are going to have to very likely to sit down with your husband Make him a nice supper with some blueberry pie for dessert and explain to him that sometimes when you say things, you need him to empathize. You need him not to give suggestions. Explain it to him. Many men don't know that. I was married. I got married. I did not have sisters. I was clueless. I had no idea. 
And there's a certain communication and men need to be taught that. In many cases, a wife, you need to teach it to your husband. Just teach your husband. When I complain, when I fetch, when I unload, I just need you to empathize. I don't, I just need you to hear me out. Because men, I don't want to be empathized. I want solutions. And men struggle with this because the wife doesn't want solutions. She wants the empathy. And a wife sometimes has to say it. So I tell her guys, listen, when you get married, do yourself a favor. Walk around with a pocket full of peanuts or M&Ms or something. And when your wife starts to fetch, pop a few in your mouth. And just go, mmm, 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 mmm. You'll be happy. She'll be happy. Claudia Israel will be happy. Everybody will get along. And this communication thing, sometimes the wife has to teach her husband, this is part of how I communicate. And the man has to learn this. So obviously, there's a communication issue over here. And I'd say that the wife has to communicate to the husband what it is that he's not getting. Okay, Rabbi Kaplan, beautiful. Um, interesting question. We asked the question a little bit like Thomas when, when when one says Aleph or one says Bays, how do you get to disagreement? But there's a little bit twist of it. Our oldest son is now reaching the age where there's been conflicting on different chinuch issues. Example, iPads, computers, dressing, going to shul, different questions that now as the kids get older. How does a healthy couple discuss the issues and come to a fair compromise, respectively? That's a great question. It's an important question. And uh, the first thing is to know that compromise when there's a halachic issue is not acceptable. If there's a halachic, a clear halachic approach, uh, so compromise is not on the, is not on the, uh, on the radar. Uh, if something is also so the couple is no compromise well i'll compromise because she wants to do it this way sometimes sometimes and i'm not, not talking about the compromise i'm not talking about the compromise regarding what the kid needs uh, sometimes what the kid needs because they've had advice from a competent rov that this uh, kid who is maybe struggling with yiddishkeit so they have to compromise their vis-a-vis -vis the kid but in their own relationship, there has to be very clear, this is motor, this is usur, this is certainly inappropriate. And if it isn't appropriate or usur, there's no compromise on that. Compromise is only where there's something which is preference, not a lot. Now, when it comes to all these things like the computers and the iPods and all, all these things, that needs, uh, that needs, uh, you're, you're already into a halachic realm over here where the family should have a rov. And by the way, every married couple should have a rov that they go to or that they could ask their shilas to, uh, both the halachic shilas and life guidance shilas. And the rov has to be able to tell you whether there's even room for compromise over here. So there are two questions over here. There's between the husband and the wife. Between the husband and the wife, there's no compromise over here. We have to get a, we have to get a sock over here on what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. Then there's dealing with it. Now, let's say, for example, I'm just using this as an example because I'm going back to when my kids were young. When my kids were young, uh, my son wanted a, the first, I remember the first piece of electronics he wanted was a, uh, uh, what's it called? A Game Boy. He wanted a Game Boy. So I looked at the Game Boy. We did not have a computer. We did not have a, a phone to this day. I don't have a cell phone, uh, not a smartphone, not a dumb phone. Never had. And we didn't have a computer at the time. I had to get the computer for uh, for the sake of, uh, of writing and, uh, and email, which is excellent, uh, very, very efficient. And my son uh, uh, wanted, he was, I think, nine years old, he wanted a Game Boy. So I took a look at the Game Boy, and I saw what it was. I would prefer he doesn't have it. 
I would prefer he didn't use it. But he's a kid, wants a Game Boy. I looked at the Game Boy. I felt that's the sort of thing that, that they'll outgrow. It can't go too far. They put in a disc at a certain point, they get tired of it. Okay, so I decided to give him a Game Boy. Now, let's say a wife says, I don't think you should have a Game Boy. I think you should. Now, we're not talking about something that's awesome. Just hashkafically, she feels that it wouldn't be good for him. Generally, in those situations, a couple has to discuss it. And if I can't get to a, a, a point where they agree, they have one of two choices. Either they can agree to go to a third party to give them a decision, or if they won't do that, they don't want to go to a third party, they want to get involved, that's when I recommend the husband trusts his wife's intuition. Beautiful. Okay, here's a, a nice question. My husband, Baruch Shem, he's a great guy, always busy with his phone, news, newspapers. What can I do to get him to understand that it's ruining our relationship? So this is, you know, the, 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 just the way, the way, once you use the word ruining the relationship, uh, you're at, you're really at uh, what I call, you're at break point. And once you're at break point, then it has to be clarified to him that if in a nice way, and sometimes not even in a pleasant way, it has to be clear, listen, if this is going to go on, then we're going to have to get some professional intervention over here. But we can't have a marriage. You know, I, I see couples go out for a walk at night and one of them is on the phone. And sometimes even worse, they're both on the phone. So what do you go for a walk for? What, what, what are you doing that for? You're, 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 you're killing yourself. You're just ruining everything. The technology is ruining everything. And there has to be a certain discipline. You come home and it's just not there, or at least for a certain amount of time. If a wife can't communicate that to the husband, the husband's not receptive to that, and it's ruining a marriage, then you need professional intervention to find out what's the next step over here. How long can this go on for? And what effect is that having on the kids? Uh, something so even he, more? Yeah, go ahead. If he doesn't understand, listen, he's doing what she wants. He, they do spend time, but on, the, on his own time, he's always on. He's always busy. He's, he's, always, always, he's always busy. She has to. She has to tell him. She has to be able to express herself in a healthy marriage, and a man has to, in a healthy marriage, be willing to at least hear what she's saying and consider it. If he feels that she's not right, then they'll discuss that. And if they can't bridge that gap somehow, then they need to get intervention. But there has to be a willingness to hear her side of the story. Just be willing to hear what she has to say. If and if it's ruining things and she feels it's ruining things and he's not willing to even discuss it, then I in these situations I feel that you need intervention over here. You need to find somebody who tells you, okay, what's my next step over here? So she, she wants to go and he doesn't. That's already that's already something I can't get into. That's that's that we said we're going to talk about healthy marriages. For sure. That, that, that I can't uh, I can't even. Uh, in each situation there has to be assessed individually. Okay, Rabbi, Ka Rabbi Kaplan, one of the, probably one of the most important questions. My husband, Baruch Hashem, is a great guy, but he's always busy with his phone. We, with did, we did that one. Next yes, time. we did. Sorry, sorry. That's not. Rather one long. We got married both straight out of the system. Now, 10 plus years later, I'm working on I'm working in the world. I feel like and think more worldly. I want to do fun things and enjoy my wife. On the other hand, it's even she's even more from than when we first got married. How can our relation, marriage and relationship grow if I want to go to Miami and she wants to go to a speech? So basically, over the years, she, he became. I understand. 
worldly, and she's uh, she became more right. and dynamic. So, so uh, you know, a guy came to a guy came to uh, Rav Steinman Zatzal, and he said something about there's a certain bacher, and the bacher is more more modern. So Rav Steinman said to him, "Why don't you say it correctly? Don't say he's more modern. Say he's more secular." What they call in Israel Chiloni. Say he's more secular. This guy says, Well, I've become more worldly. What you call more worldly, I call more secular. That means your values have changed. And your values have changed because uh, uh, you've been in that world, not your fault. You have to work for Parnassa, whatever it is. But one way or another, your values have changed. The, uh, the Torah says that. Yaakov sees Lovan's face, and it doesn't appear the way it did when he first got there. When he first got there, Lovan was all smiles. After 20 years, Lovan's got a frown on his face. He looks brown. Yaakov says, time to go. Okay, that's the plain meaning of the puzzle. I once heard an explanation. When Yaakov first arrived, he took one look at Lovan, he saw he's a low life, he's a no good, he's everything bad. After 20 years, his face doesn't look as bad as it did 20 years earlier. If this Lovan doesn't look as bad as he did, then something's changed, then I've changed, not Lovan. The guy goes into the workforce, and he become more, I become more worldly. What world would be? Wants to have fun. You know what's happened over here? And his wife has become more for He says his wife has become more for First of all, she might not. It's just that it could be his deterioration. It looks like she has, number one. Number two, sometimes it could be that she sees what's happening to him and therefore goes to the other extreme, hoping to pull him up in that direction. But what's really happening here, and I think that this is the crux of many marriages, this, is, this really gets to the root of many marriages, is that, you know, I once had a guy came into our Samath and I asked him a very provocative question. We spoke for a while. We schmoozed for a while. And at a certain point, I said to him, tell me something. What's your goal in life? Well, that's a, 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 that's a question that stumps a lot of people who should really have a defined goal. I said, what's your goal in life? So the guy said to me, he is a member of the marching band at Ohio State University. And he plays the tuba. In the biggest game of the year when Ohio State plays Michigan, the Ohio State University at halftime, the marching band, you know the marching band is when they go out on the field at halftime of a college football game and annoy you until the second, second half begins. So the marching band goes out on the field and they spell out human formation at Ohio State. It's said to be the senior tuba player has a singular honor and distinction of being the guy who gets to dot the I in the word Ohio. It's said to me, my goal in life is to dot the I. I'm kind of looking at him like this. I have to try to, you know, look look pretty accepting and passive. I'm thinking to myself, like, no, really, you know, what comes next? I mean, you get across the T, you know. And then I thought afterwards, it's an interesting thing. A dot in Hebrew and diktuk. I don't know if you like diktuk or not. If you like diktuk, you're probably a lonely person. But if 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 you and by the way, I found the pattern. People who like diktuk also drink Dr. Pepper. I don't know why that is, but it's just true. So the, the uh, I said to, you know, I, I thought to myself, if you, a dot, you dot the I, a dot in diktuk is called a dugesh. Dugesh means emphasis. 
when he told me his goal in life is to dot the I, I realized that it's not speaking for himself. He's speaking for entire society. The entire society, their goal in life is to put the emphasis on the I, to dot the I. And I know people have talked about the iPhone and the iPad. It's all about I. The dot the I, put the emphasis on the I. That means that a person has to have a goal. A couple gets married. I assume that when you were in Shaduchim, you spoke about a goal. You spoke about goals. And it's a good thing for couples, even in the course of marriage. Where are we going with all this? What are we trying to accomplish? What's the goal of learning in Koilo? What's the goal of making Parnassa? What's the goal of paying tuitions and sending our kids to school? What are we trying to accomplish here? It's about Avodah Hashem. And so a man who's, who's, now, who's more worldly, that simply means that he's taken his focus off the goal. That goal needs to be recharged. That goal needs to be retapped into. My, when, 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 when I got married, my wife happens to be from Columbus, Ohio, which is where Ohio State University is. Uh, and I'm from Chicago. So we were driving from Chicago to Columbus and it was late at night. And it's about a seven hour drive when we had left Chicago to drive to Columbus. <clears throat> and to get out of Chicago, there's like a 12 lane highway. And my father, all of a sudden, he gave me instructions as one of these, get into the third lane from the right. And then you gotta hop to the fifth lane from the left and you gotta catch the turn of this, that. And he said to me, you got it? And I said, yeah, we both knew I didn't. And so my wife and I get in the car, we start driving. It's late at night, about 10 o'clock at night, we start driving. And after about an hour and a half or so, we see a sign that says Detroit, 235 miles. Now that's bad, because Chicago's here and Columbus is here, Detroit is here. So I get out of the car, I pull into a truck stop. Now we're talking about midnight, I pull into a truck stop and there's a lady behind the counter. And I said to her, uh, can you please tell me how to get to Columbus? She goes, well, wait a second. She goes, Roy, she calls Roy out. Roy's a trucker, you know, this truck stop. Roy comes out, he looks like he stepped right off of the cover of Trucker's Magazine. Got the mutton chop sideburns and the, the belly and the beer in one hand and a Marlboro in the other hand and a cheeseburger in his mouth. And Roy comes over and Roy says, she says, Roy, can you tell this guy how to get to Columbus? So Roy looks at me, he goes, uh, well, where are you coming from? So I said, well, uh, Chicago. He goes, Chicago, Chicago, boy, are you messed up. Right? And he calls all the other truck drivers, Roy, they're only Roy, Roy, that guy, this guy's coming from Chicago. And they, they all had a good laugh. I wasn't amused, but I did get one muster lesson from him. I got one muster lesson from my friend Roy. He says, if you don't know where you're going, boy, you messed up. And a couple has to have a goal. And a man who is focused on going to Florida and his wife wants to go to Sheer. There seems to be a discrepancy in the life goal. They have to tap into that again. We have to re-communicate where are we trying, what are our goals over here? And a man who has, makes it clear to his wife, I'm just not interested in the Yiddishkeit anymore, or less Yiddishkeit, or more secularism in my life, then again, that's going to require a certain amount of uh, outside intervention. Okay, Rabbi Kaplan, let's jump on this one. <clears throat> As a newly married couple, this issue keeps on coming up a lot, and we are hearing different opinions and advice. So I want to ask you, and we're very confused. <clears throat> we're both very social people and have lots of friends and live in a beautiful young community. We get invited at almost every other Shabbos with other young couples. 
I personally don't see the big concern about eating out with other couples. Can you explain to me what the issues might be and how we should deal with them? Is this question coming from a man or a woman? Coming from a man. Coming from a man. Okay. So I can tell you this, uh, just as a rule, I'm very much against it. Uh, younger couples with younger couples. Uh, um, um, the uh, the uh, uh, when my older brother got he had his first kid, so they came to visit to America. The baby was about three months old, but it was and my younger brother. There's three of us. My younger brother, when he was offered to hold the baby, he wouldn't hold the baby. My mother asked him, why don't you want to hold the babies? My younger brother was very logical. He said, nothing good could come of it. Either he'll spit up on me or he'll do something socially unacceptable on me or this something, nothing good could come of it. Therefore, I will, I will uh, uh, decline. Uh, when couples spend time with other couples, very little good could come of it. The husband may be looking at the other wife and again, even like we had the question earlier, even if he's not looking at her in a crude way, he may be thinking, why is she so witty and my wife is so quiet? The, husband, the other husband's thinking, why is my wife so loud and his wife is so discreet? See, each one's thinking the other. Uh, you know, the, 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 he may eat the challah. He might eat the challah. Wow, you know, this challah floats, tastes like the Anone Akavo. You know, my wife's challah once fell off the table and cracked the tile. Uh, why is uh, why is the you know wife one wife is looking? Why does this husband know what the parsha is, and my husband is clueless? Why has he got such an interesting personality, and my husband doesn't? That's in the best scenario, and in the worst scenario, couples make cross lines. Uh, you know, there's a there's al tarbis sicha imaisha is a statement of Jerkei Avos, and there's a halacha in Shulchan Aruch. A man's not allowed to be involved with other ladies in, in, a, in a in a frivolous a frivolous manner. And, and, you know, to have a joint conversation where you're talking to somebody else's wife and she's talking to you, even for older people, is a, it's, it's completely inappropriate. I've heard of couples that get together and play games together, play Pictionary, whatever other Narish guy they do. All these things are crossing barriers, are crossing lines where it's completely and utterly inappropriate. So I have heard that when couples are living what they call out of town, uh, like, for example, couples living in Israel, uh, there are no parents around. So there, there is a feeling that you want to have at least somebody else, but I highly recommend against it. It's not, uh, you know, there's certain uh, problems that can emerge, problems that could come out of it. So I'm very, very much against it. Uh, it could be there are others who are okay with it, but if I mean, whenever I'm asked, I, I try to discourage it as much as possible. Once couples have kids and they're a little older and there's less of that, they're more established with each other, so then it's a little less, but still there's got to be a certain distance between the, the males and the females. There's got to be a certain amount. There's got to be a certain arm's length. Uh, uh, um, th 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 there's no, no kind of interaction. Here's an interesting question. I'm starting to see small signs of family members talking to my wife about what she should expect from her husband, different things in general. What are the boundaries with including relatives in our matter in the, in the marriage? What things are you supposed to share? And when do you need to tell them, sorry, this is not your business, or please stay out of my marriage or our marriage? Okay, there are two questions here. There are two questions here. There's one question which is between the couple themselves, and there's a question of how they relate to others who are poking their nose in their business. Those are two different questions. The first question, the first is that the husband and wife have to have an agreement, an unbreakable agreement, that there is nothing that 
can be discussed other than trivialities. Where did you go shopping and that sort of thing. But anything in the marriage that has to do with the relationship between the husband and the wife or plans that they have, for instance, financial plans or uh, 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 certain things they're dealing with, whatever it is, anything that is sensitive, uh, um, they cannot discuss independently and without the approval of the other one. What's between a husband and the wife stays between a husband and wife unless they have expressed approval to discuss it. Now, once in a while, you do find something where actually, you know, wife said, so wife said, oh, by the way, I told my mother that we spent $500 on the couch and the husband gets upset. Why are you telling your mother that? And she didn't even know that that crossed that line. So that is tricky to know exactly where that line is. But there are certain things where you know that this is not something my husband wants to be tell, talking to my mother about or my sister about or my sister about. And the same thing with the man, you don't have a right to discuss it with other people. There are certain things that are absolutely non-negotiable. But there nothing, once it's been decided that we do not discuss this with other people, then neither one has the right to in make an independent decision and say, yes, I am going to discuss it with them. I would say that if something becomes, you know, with the exceptional cases of what they call abuse, that sort of thing, that's something else. Where, 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 where something is really hurting. But where they're where in, a, in a healthy marriage, they have to abide by that. And by the way, this extends to other areas also. If a husband and wife have made a joint agreement, neither one could break that agreement or should break that agreement without the express approval of the other one. So if a husband and wife have made a decision, we are staying home for Shabbos. And then the husband comes home and the wife says, oh, by the way, or we're not having guests for the Shabbos. And then the husband comes over and says, oh, by the way, I invited so-and-so's family. She shouldn't be doing that because there was an agreement with your husband and now you're making an independent decision and you should not be making independent decisions once a joint decision has been made. You can revisit the original decision, go back to your husband and say, oh, by the way, somebody called about coming for Shabbos. Is it okay if we do have guests? So you can certainly discuss, rediscuss it, but not to make the decision independently. Men don't like that at all. And men don't like when women are telling their, 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 their mother and sisters too much about the marriage. So those lines have to be, have to be kept. Now, as far as dealing with the relatives, it's like dealing with anybody else. And somebody else, there's a lot of times in life, uh, I tell guys, somebody asks, yeah, somebody asks you a question. So one of the tactful ways of not responding says, well, it's my, in my best interest not to discuss it. That gives it a certain aura of mystery. It sounds like you're with the Shabak or something, you know. But it, it's in my best interest not to discuss it, as opposed to, well, mind your own business. There's no reason to be that aggressive. Kaplan, the last question of the night, then we're going to go to closing. As most couples argue, I understand, I, I want to understand what are the basic ground rules for having an argument, or let's say a heated, or let's just say a heated debate. What should you say? What should you never say? And how do healthy couples argue respectfully and come to a resolution together? So again, it's not about what I want, what I don't want. There's an argument. How do, how do healthy people... Okay, let's be realistic. There are going to be arguments. There are probably going to be heated arguments. I heard about a guy went to a rub once. He said he went to a bracha before he gets married. The rub said, I give you a bracha. You have lots of good arguments with your wife. So what kind of bracha is that? So the rub said to him, listen, you're going to have a lot of arguments anyway. You may as well have them with the bracha. So, so let's, let's get something clear. 
first of all, you know, the famous story with Rav Shlomo Zalman and his wife, Rav Shlomo Zalman Darbach, his wife was Nifter, so Rav Shlomo Zalman approached the Mita, and he said, there's a minute in Klai Yisrael that the surviving spouse asks Mechila. But in all of our years of marriage, there was no, never a, an unpleasant word exchanged between us, and therefore I have nothing to ask Mechila for. And I said this in front of about 10,000 people, Rav Shlomo Zalman. So somebody once asked one of his sons, how could it be that your parents were married over 60 years and they never had a disagreement? His son said, my parents had plenty of disagreements. They had dozens of disagreements. How could two people not have disagreements? But just because you have a disagreement doesn't have to become unpleasant. What's the unpleasantness got to do with it? So you have a disagreement, so what? The first rule in an argument is stick with the issues. Stick to the issues. It's not the time... There should never be any personal insult. Well, wow, you're really stupid. That's, that, there's no place. We're not, we're not children. Sorry. When children fight, <laughs> sometimes people say, you know what? You guys sound like a couple of kids. When I saw kids fighting, I say, you know what? You guys, are, you guys are, make us sound like a couple of adults. Adults are much worse than kids. There's no room for anything personal. You're really stupid. They're really, it, it's, no, you, you're silly. You leave, the, you're, leave the insult. Stick to the issue. I don't think we should spend money on this right now. I don't think that he should go, he should visit with that. Which I don't think we should go for Shabbos. Not, oh, you're you're a lousy cook, so that's why you want to go away for Shabbos. Now, well, they leave the personal insults out. That's the first line. That, that, that's, a, that, that's that. Number two, and this is a rule for men in general. When you're discussing something with your wife, don't interrupt. That means when you hear her voice, don't talk. That's it's as simple as that. That goes for marriage in general, all the time. Don't interrupt her. Nobody likes to be interrupted. So I told this to the guys once at a Shalom year. One of the guys says to me afterwards, he goes, you know, I mean, when my wife starts talking, I mean, she could really start going. She could really get going. So I laughed. I said to the guy, well, that's just too bad. Right? Because that's part of marriage. And you're going to have to listen politely, number one. Number two, you could get going also. You also have, have, have like to make speeches and you don't want to be interrupted. So don't interrupt her either. So it's particularly important to remember this when things get hot because that's when you're at your worst. Now's the test of my meetups. We're discussing something. It may be a lot of pressure. It may be with an uncooperative kid in school and it may have to do with health and it may have to do with money. That's the test of the meetups. Right now is a test of Midos. And my Midos are tested. I have to maintain all Derech Eretz. It still applies even now. Okay, Moedek. Let's go to closing. Okay, first of all, a great perspective of the captain coming on today. I really appreciate it. I know the time flew by very quickly. But not Davin and Shachas at the end of the day, right? Chris, Shkaf waking up so early. Hope the coffee lasted and giving so much physical over here tonight and Hashem, all the details of the people that will listen to it later and the people that were here tonight, we should get a tremendous physical again tonight. She was sponsored by an organization called Akapa, which they really help Almanas, Yisoyimim, get on their feet. And Hashem, they, uh, they, they're doing a raffle. Menachem put the, the text of the, of the raffle, send it on email if they should try to be restorative. Help this tremendous organization. And uh, again, for everybody coming on. Anybody who wants to get the WhatsApp flyers, just WhatsApp me on Sundays. Uh, just WhatsApp me anytime, and I'll send you every Sunday the flyer at 848 525 0066. Or you can go to menachembernfield.com. 
and uh, sign up for the for the emails, and then he'll send out the recording of the next year and all the shirim. Again, if anybody's here the first time, every Sunday at 9.30, we have, uh, on this Zoom ID, we have different shirim, different topics. Next Sunday, Shem, August 21st, we're going to have the Murray Dekashi with Rabbi Shem from Cleveland, talking about fundamental steps to acquire in Bittachen, and dealing with the toughest challenges in life and finding Hashem's message in that. So we have a very powerful and deep meaningful program. Please join and uh, tell people about it. It should be more ridiculous. Again, everything is recorded. If you have any questions, please email coachbenachem at gmail.com. Tonight's year, share 112. And uh, if you want to listen to it on the phone, the number is 848-777-GROW. That's 848-777-GROW. If anybody wants to reach out to Rabbi David Kaplan himself, he's going to give out his email over here. Anybody has any questions, you can email him. It's David B, like in boy, Kaplan. David Kaplan. K-A-P-L-A-N at gmail.com. If you have any questions, you can email him directly. Again, I want to thank all the advertising sponsors, Lakewood Scoop, Rabbi Yaniv Chazak, Elie and Ariel Sharon from Five Town Central. A special thank you to Chayla Kaplan and Shmuel Summer from JCN for promoting us on all the digital platforms. We're going to closing the Nachum. To wrap it up, and then Rabbi Dovid Kaplan leaves all of us Let's encapsulate tonight. Thank you very much, Rabbi Kaplan. And tonight, we discussed many topics. And like I mentioned in the beginning, uh, a lot of people are, are in a different place, whether it's in struggling marriages or going for help. But uh, to hear the ideas and to get some um, things that you can discuss with if you're in therapy or whoever it is that you're talking to. But I think this is a very important um, idea. If, you know, whatever you heard tonight, or if you have any questions, to always have someone that you can discuss it with. I know we discussed that you shouldn't go ask, you shouldn't discuss things by yourself without your spouse. But I think sometimes it's okay. You have a rub, you, you know, you, you have a challenge or whatever it is. Um, before you go together or you know, you have someone to talk to. Could be you, you are in therapy, you have a rough to talk to, and uh, it's something that to figure out is it something that I need to, to change? How should I tell my spouse? How, how can I, I communicate it in a way that it shouldn't make things worse? So it's always a very good idea to have a third party to hear it out. So thank you very much for coming on, and Mr. Shem, everybody should be able to take what we learned tonight. And take our marriage to the next level. Shkoyach. Okay, Rabdova Kaplan, again for having you. Rabdova Kaplan, the closing. Leave us with some takeaway. The, the, the takeaway here is what I started with the ultimate bracha. Lo bracha shalom. Shalom is the ultimate bracha. And parents want to know how to succeed with their kids nowadays, where the where with chinuch, all the chinuch issues and so on and so forth. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, uh, if there's shalom bias, then just about everything works out. And sometimes people think there's cause and effect. They think, well, the parnasa is struggling. The struggle in parnasa, so shalom bias isn't good. It works in the other direction. If the shalom bias is good, then the parnasa will improve. And Akkadish Baruch says that the bracha is in the home because of the wife. The Gemara says the bracha is in the home. Rava says, you have to spend more on your wife and your children than you could possibly afford, than, 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 you, than you could afford, because they're totally in you, and you're totally b'misha amar And a person, a man especially, has to realize that 
Yoser Megufo. If you love your wife as much as yourself, you machabit her even more than yourself, then HaKadosh Baruch will give you all of the brochas. And a wife, you treat your husband, you machabit your husband, take care of your husband. And a person has Gan Eden in this world, like the Rebbets and Chodesh said, you can live in Gan Eden in this world. A person, click up last show, and by they have all the brochas. And I want to thank you very much, by the way, Rabbi Nachman and Rabbi thank you very much for this. Uh, I hope it's beneficial. It's the only thing I just hope is getting up at four in the morning, you know, that I've had to do before. They get up at four in the morning, give a sheer. I did a little bit during Corona. We had Zooms to America, that sort of thing. But I just hope that uh, because of the subject matter here, uh, independent of the hour, I just said that I hope if somebody gets something out of this, uh, even if it's one person. My wife actually once said to me years ago, she liked when I gave Shalom Bayes Shir because when I come home, I treat her better. And I gave the show, I'm just hearing myself saying, you're giving the Shir. So if somebody gets something out of it, then it's all worth it. That's what's Trevor the Cap. A lot of people, thousands of people listen to it. I'm sure tons of people will gain from it. Okay. Again, and we'll see everybody with next week, same time, same place. Rabbi Stroll Brock in Cleveland. Thank you very much. Have a good night. Okay, good night. Hi, it's Coach Menachem here. If you enjoyed, please consider supporting us with a small monthly monthly donation to help sustain the future episodes. And it will be greatly appreciated. Thank you in advance.